What's up? We want to give thanks to all of our amazing sponsors. Piper Diamonds, your hometown jeweler. Bling, bling at piperdiamondco.com. TheCardenasLawGroup.com, your concierge level service, which is for all your personal injury needs. And Compton Broomhead Dental at MunsterDental.com. This is top level luxury dental care. And Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Safety first since 1927. All right, Kelly Cardenas podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I got the opportunity uh, to speak with none other than Robert Cromings, the Global Artistic Director of Art and Business for John Paul Mitchell Systems, but more importantly, my friend uh, for probably 25, 26 years. Um, this man has been a mentor to me, has been a friend to me, has been there uh, at all different uh, points in my life, the highs, the lows, everything. Um, this episode is stocked full of gold nuggets. What I would suggest is before you listen to it, grab a notebook, grab a pen, sit down and be ready to have your doors blown off. This is not just about the professional beauty industry. This is about people. This is about business and how to be able to grow a legacy. This man is an absolute icon, but he's built his whole legacy based off of building other people. Um, I am floored uh, that I get the opportunity to start the podcast. He was the first episode and to end 2020 with a bang. It was phenomenal. Um, enjoy, share it with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, I appreciate it. Make sure that you patronize all of our sponsors and that yeah, I just look forward to you uh, uh, enjoying this episode. I am completely floored uh, by the time that I got to spend with them. Enjoy. You know, it, it seems like everybody can have a conversation. Do you start the camera or start the, you know, the roll in? And you know, you know how we are keeping it tight, keeping it interesting. I was just reading an article about wit and how important it is to people's learning and what it takes to be witty. It's like what we do. We move into a rap song or we throw a different word in and, you know, changing words up like Steph always does. Um, but, you know, as I say, Getting a good take is something not easy, even though you've got the good intention. So I need to go through it and see. And again, we, we rolled for 45 minutes. I know there's something good in there. But um, as I say, we, we haven't done anything with it yet. And I said, well, listen, we can always redo it. Um, but, you know, I think it was at Wins Masters tape. He, I had to do six takes before I ever got on it. <laughs> That's how bad it can be. Thanks, Wins, six times to get on there because he didn't like the first few takes. But, you know, anyway, he was right. <laughs> Eventually, when I got there, it was the right take. It was a good one. Why, we'll why, do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think that once the stuff gets rolling or the light comes on or the, you know, the, the camera starts recording that people shut down and, and don't continue to flow? I, I think what it is, they try to put too much pack into it. They try to put too much thought to, you know, they want to be so impressive. And I think I would say that is a criticism for the whole beauty industry. They take the microphone right now. Uh, there's very few I can listen to. 
And, um, you know, everybody's looking for authenticity. I don't think it's better just because you're saying something doesn't mean you're authentic. So anyway, it's just one of those things. And it's, you know, lucky for me, the camera doesn't put me off or the microphone, but for some people, they switch. I mean, and even he made a bit of a switch. But, you know, first time in, we'll get it. But there's just people want to overload shit. They just want to put so much in. I listened to something yesterday with Flaunt. Mary was invited in. And I just like, yeah, you're filling space with words, girl, but you're not saying anything, you know what I mean? Uh, not Mary, but just the other girl that was hosting it. And, you know, right now there's a blah, blah, blah going on. Everybody's just repeating the same shit. So that doesn't, to me, become interesting conversation. Uh, that video I made last week, or the one that was inspired by Mary Richter, I seen her posting on BTC that said, defy the government. And she's entitled to say whatever she wants, but it was the 600 comments that said, yeah. Um, so I was at the beach, so I made one, it went viral, got about a hundred, maybe 200,000 views, but you know, just position and what's important right now is really critical. And especially for California salons, I mean, this is a Jersey Kelly, this, you know, Carrie Davis called me and said, when do you think we're open? And I said, I think we may not get home until April to be quite honest in California. Yeah based on the data. So they're kind of talking about second quarter. So, you know, they're sort of thinking, get the vaccine in on the people that are threatened by it. Well, these, you know, it's a little thing that I know. Like, look at barbering. Okay. Used to be, you cut somebody's hair that short. They're like, I'm going to sue you motherfucker. And then it becomes normal and everybody can't get it short enough. So it's, it's kind of like beauty in the eye of the beholder. So hair is a lot like that. You know, when your roots were usually four millimeters long, you thought you had a problem. And people's taste is changing. And I think this will have a huge ramification on the barber world because if you're not going in every three, four weeks, then you don't have a barber haircut. So I'm just saying there's been a shift and the client confidence is down. Uh, from our first opening, I think the first uh, month we were open, we did maybe 100K, so we were about 50 down on the one store from normal. And as we reopened these last couple of months, we've been doing 60, 70 K. So we're like doing a third of what we used to do. Wow. And, you know, and you know, this is things we should talk about. You know, everybody's worried about how much money they're getting. Well, how much are you spending? Let's start there. This is what you do control. <laughs> you don't control what's coming in, but you sure shouldn't be fucking shopping up on Amazon all day. Well, being able to, so, yeah, yeah. That, so I think uh, the, USA, 10 million people in addition to the normal unemployment. Uh, I think 160,000 small businesses have already went out of business. And that's going to continue because even if they save for a rainy day, Kelly, you didn't save this much. <laughs> it's like, you know, you didn't save that much. So if you survive the first and if you go through a second and third. Um, so right now, you know, the confidence of the client is really, we just not as essential as we thought. That's the part that people aren't grasping quite yet but almost everybody I've talked to and it's all over the world as usual but I don't think I've met anybody yet who's not down in some degree maybe Carrie's one of the least affected about 15% down uh, Van is down maybe 25% uh, visible changes 50% uh, so these are you know Texas and Atlanta they, were, they weren't hurt like we were they had one shutdown and got back to it two months quicker than we did but there's, you know, I'm just saying this is what's going on right now. So essentialism, people, same in the nail business. Yeah. Uh, you know, people that we get those acrylic nails, those little things every two, three weeks. 
they let them go out during quarantine and they wish I don't really need this. I can touch this up myself. So there's a shift in habits um, that should be a very you know big issue as we get back to work. And the thing that you got to really understand is yesterday's overhead won't match with today's volume. So that's where you got to get very clever, whether it's, you know, restructuring loans. You know, think about it. If you get a loan that's a kind of natural loan for your company that's doing $3 million, now you're doing $1.5 million, you wouldn't qualify for the same loan. So it's dealing with your debt, dealing with your landlord. I don't know what you did in yours, but, um, you know, right now I've got percentage rent downtown. And I'll have it, you know, we keep pushing it further and further out, but, you know, at least for the next year or so I can work off a percentage rent. But if he turned around after that and said, I want 30000 a month, then downtown will not exist anymore. That's just a fact of it. What, now, what did you, what do you think that you, uh, you know, what were the main points that you learned? Like we sat, like I sat with my wife the other day and we were just, you know, we were having, uh, uh, we were having lunch. She was just enjoying the snow. I said, what did you learn? She was like, I learned that, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I enjoy being with my family, things like this. And then yeah. she, then she asked me and I was like, I, I feel like I got a, a MBA or a doctorate this year. Um, just in the things I learned about myself. What did you, because people you know, see you as, you know, they're always looking to you for answers. And I've seen this for years and years and years. Um, what, if anything, did you learn through this time? Well, it's like the things we're talking about, that we're not as important to our client's mindset as we think we are. And that was a lovish, you know, we talked about this. It's, it's like discretionary income. Um, you know, where you spend it is everything. So I'm just saying where they're spending it right now, they're not so worried about their hair and especially in California. So maybe in Atlanta, they lived through it. Um, I would just say trying to keep the focus on what you do control, which is the biggest part. That's where I got the couple of hundred thousand views on it, you know, and I got a little shit over it because I said, drink coffee for the things you can control and drink tequila for the ones you can. <laughs> so I, I, I discovered every alcoholic in the industry. Uh, it's just amazing when you see people react. And one guy who I kind of know, he said, what's well, something about getting your material, Robert? And I'm like, well, this is all new shit, you bastard. But, you know, and then I DM'd him. I said, why did you put that comment on my page? He said, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic for 32 years, and I don't think you should be joking about alcohol. I said, you missed the whole point. I said, but the fact that you wrote. And anyway, so we went back and forth. So he took the posting down. I said, thank you. You know, why would you, why would you put shit up there <laughs> and... You know, I know alcoholism has affected you and I both know this. My mother, my sister, uh, cousins. I mean, I, I, my aunt walked in on her 27-year-old son that had just had an alcoholic seizure. And I can't even let you imagine what that looks like when somebody dies like that. It's like in a horror movie. So imagine a mother walking into that type of scenario. So alcohol is no joke. It is absolutely the worst thing in the world, but you know, you got to have a little fun sometimes. He, he said something to me. He said, some of this is DM. He's like, you know, why you always got to go for the joke? I said, listen, I watched you on stage. You could do with a few jokes because you're dull. Um, it, he's one of those kids that specializes in curly hair. Yeah. And he cuts each little piece independently. And they think that's accurate because they're doing it like they're trimming a hedge. But when you really understand haircutting, that doesn't really mean that's what's going on. All these hairs are very 
different in the way they fall. But anyway, he's built up a pretty much 200,000 following on these little slow curly haircuts. And uh, as I say, he's a nice enough kid, but we ended up still friends. But I'm just saying, you can say something. So when he wrote to me, he's like, yeah, I was an alcoholic for 30 years. Da, da, da. I said, that's what you should have wrote. <laughs> Not get, get new material, Robert, because that just puts my back up. Uh, you know, so just funny. And again, trolling the internet, the comments, you learn a lot from that, Kelly. So when I've got a point of view, and then you do learn, like, you know, yeah, close the stores and have the government subsidize us. That would be the best solution. Um, you know, but I don't control the government, so I can't speak on that behalf. But the, you know, the things to be learned by, it. and you know, crew too. You know, I've had uh, Donna and Anya have never returned to work since this happened. Oh wow! Everybody's part time, pretty much. Yeah. So I'm just saying, this is a yeah. To build from this is going to take some stuff. So the PPP money, did you apply for that again? Oh, I haven't yet, but I've I've got my banker uh, ready on on uh, on standby. Yeah, we should have a talk about that too. Just uh, what you do with it, because okay. I think everybody's like, well, you know, right now you should be recruiting. So using that PPP money going into things like a signing bonus, you know, so that they and they can be, you know, I'm sure your brother could write it up. So it's a signing bonus could be a thousand dollars to sign on, and as long as you're here within a year. We'll forgive it, and if you leave between the year, you give us the thousand back. But using some of that PPD money to kind of recruit and you know incentivize because it's free money right now, whatever you get, and the more you apply to payroll, you can't get hurt by it. Yeah. So I'm just saying, right now we got to recruit, and you know the old ways are skinny, but I think these citing bonuses could be something. And, uh, you know, as I say, you can give people a little bit of a bump while they're going through slower times. But uh, we're still celebrating the biggest average ticket we've ever had, best take-home sales, uh, biggest new client input from ever. Just simply, I think, the protocols of safety. Yeah. It's probably the thing that's hurting it the most is staff um, being, you know, and then think about it. They go into work and then, oh, my roommate's got COVID. They're out for two weeks. And I'm just saying, there's nothing you can do. You can't question it. You can't ask for proof. It's just <laughs> shit. You, you got a hangover. You can have two weeks off. <laughs> this is what uh, millennials call food poisoning, right? I've never. I, yeah, I, yeah. I tell you, and I don't know if you you were on this. I was on this the other day. Someone said something about food poisoning. I was like, I am 45 years old, and. I, maybe God's going to strike me today, Robert, with food poisoning. I have never in my life had food poisoning, and I've never seen as many yeah. cases as we have in the recent past. And yeah. I tell you, that is the easiest, because what are you going to do? You're going to uh, question someone for, for uh, doo-doo in their drawers? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be no, like, I even read the other day. I gave him the whole lecture while we were drinking. I had a you know, be better drinker, and uh, he ignored all of it. And uh, he was drinking and mixing and all. So he threw up four times and then he was trying to blame something. I go, oh, yeah, it was food poisoning. I remember we were at a show in Europe and nine people in the training had food poisoning. Nine. And I'm sure none of them ate dinner together, but it's just one of those losers limps. Like, oh, food poisoning. Oh, yeah. And I've had food poisoning a lot, but I still make it to work. <laughs> uh, you know how we feel about that. Party hard and go to work or stay up all night. I don't care what you do, but be here. <laughs> so, you know, just, yeah, difference. But, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I think Mary, you know, she shed a tear. Um, I think emotionally because she deals with a bit of the desk activities and stuff. But, 
Uh, I do hope at the end of this to have a you know 100% call center, uh, 80% self checkout. So you know we've dropped the overhead of the assistant program, Kelly, and I'm basically just about to drop the overhead of the desk into something that's very manageable. You know, four or five percent of the overall business maximum. But having seven days a week coverage because I still think the personal touch right now is critical. Um, you know, digital consultations I think are the way to go for new clients. Um, so we're going to run a campaign digitally on that, just trying to get people that have never been before uh, without a commitment to kind of do it. So we've definitely got strategies in place, but a lot of it just you know think about it. You've got a business that can hardly show a profit, and suddenly you just took six, seven, eight points out of it in the Rising Star program and then do the same on your desk and suddenly you've got a profitable business. So it may not be doing the volume it was, but it's actually better on paper than it was. So rebuilding from that point could be a much better outcome than the one we were living with. I did an interview with Gordon last week for a podcast. Uh, the quality of it was shit. I think I talked too fast for his machine. So some of the top of my sentences would rub off and stuff, you know, like it's like when you're doing a, a recording, uh, but anyway, uh, he said, what about trade shows? Are we going, oh, you know, air shows. I said, Listen, they, they were dead long before COVID. <laughs> we were still going through the, the, the motion. I said, but they're not, you know, we were just, why go back to that? Why go back to what we were doing just because that's what we did for 35 years? So, you know, I just think there's parallels. And, you know, for me, I think I've traveled, I mean, it's close to 40 years, Kelly. I mean, millions of miles and this year not a bit one trip to hawaii and that was that that was our last gig yeah. last gig i was out and i had to listen to you great one great uh, one <laughs> <laughs> the so, mummy the you, mummy joke was the best the mummy was the greatest yeah yeah well i didn't think about it you got young kids trying to kickstart their career uh you got me i'm like at the twilight part of it you know but at the same token you know i feel that you know i miss it and uh, but if i was a kid at you know where i was when I was 38, 39 and pushing for the world, it would definitely be something that could throw you off unless you re, you know, unless you adapt. And I think this is something that every artist got to look at. And especially a lot of our educators, uh, you know, they all want to be platform artists. They all want to be teachers. And yet I don't feel them. I don't see them. All I see on the internet is you and Matt Beck uh, and Fernie. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's a few giants out there. Ben Brown, I was doing the podcast. I was live with Gerard the other day, and I mentioned the kid I just watched, and he was on. He nearly shit his pants. Get the fuck out of here, you mentioned my name. I'm like, I watch on the internet. I see who's making jumps, who's making, who's getting reaction. Just like a trade show. I would walk around and see who could do it on stage. I wasn't the only one, but it's not a skill everybody has. But I'm just saying, I think that this is the greatest opportunity for educators ever. And the fact that they're missing the point of it, um, you know, this this should be a place where you grow your 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 worth here. Simply because the old platforms are done, the old platforms are prehistoric. You travel around the world to talk to ten people at a time. <laughs> I can put a haircut on the internet and get a two million views. <laughs> I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are we yeah. doing? So it's you know, there's there's brightness and I think throughout all of this I've always been able to kind of keep that even if I you know I mean obviously we have moments where you're like oh fuck but I can't keep in my mindset there very long uh, but what has been interesting is just watching the industry like some of the shit they talk to one another Tabitha did a post a couple of months ago before the election 
of something Joe Biden said that she liked. And it was really a case of coming out of the dark into the light. It was nothing fancy. So she wrote how much she liked the quote in his statement. Well, she got the most hatred she's ever gotten. This is from the girl who said fuck a million times on TV. And she said she was so surprised that the people in the industry would attack her. So it's just one of those things. And, you know, as I say, I go through the comments. I didn't get much negativity, but I can't help but dwell on the ones I want to see where they're coming from. And, um, you know, it's just kind of funny where the whole industry's got these kind of opinions right now that you used to only hear in bars. (laughs) 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 So it's been a very learned time just based on that. And I think, you know, people say, well, you know, that didn't happen in the hair shows days. Yeah, it did. People be looking at my show going, what the fuck's he doing? Of course they did. You can't help what people think, but you can choose to what you write. And that's been the kind of position I've been putting out there. You know, you just, you're, you're, you're welcome to have a comment on what you see in front of you. But when you start the comment, you're a dishbag, Robert Crummings. I just think you're asking for it. You know, you could have left that part out and got across your exact point of view. Uh, but, you know, just some of them, and I, you know, I make reference to them as I go along, but I'm like, oh, my goodness. And uh, one girl gave me shit. I posted Reed's birthday cake. And she wrote down, that's all right for you, your dad's rich. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I go on her page, she's got 12 followers. Uh, I send her a message on her page. I go, your page looks really nice. Looks like you're really hustling right now for your business, which she was. So uh, I said, just to you know, let you know, his mother bought him that cake. I didn't buy him that cake. I said, but he's on lockdown on his 21st birthday, so I wanted to make a big deal about him. And then I congratulated her on her page because I could tell she's trying to hustle. Um, you know, and then she comes back with all this nice stuff. And I'm like, all right, there you go. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people need to be called out on it. It's like people that look at us from a distance and, oh, they're an asshole. Like, my favorite thing ever in my career was doing sport clips huddle uh-huh. the first time. When I came walking into the room, you could hear the murmurs, the owners looking at the car that wouldn't look me in the eye. People going, where the fuck does that guy work? Because they thought I was part of the organization. And I probably had a similar thing happen at the Adata conference. I did that better business thing with Deborah Neal. Yeah. And I could hear the murmurs, meaning the judgment, the judgment. And then I go out and do what I do. And oh my God, they were so blown away. And I had a high in the audience, band. I mean, every hairdresser in the world had to watch me while I held court. Uh, at one point, I lean into David Wagner. He says, I hate you right now. And think about David Wagner. He's not a hate you right now guy. Yeah. But his hate you was more of you are so in control of what's going on right now. And you're so good at it. I hate you. Um, you know, the guy who had never given me the time of day after that, he said to me, oh, my God, you're the best I've ever seen. I'm like, well, that's why I had such an issue with you, you asshole. Um, you know, I loved your stories. I love what you've done. But uh, at some point, I had said you didn't have to be French to get 300 bucks. And he took offense to that. Oh, well, you're a wussy cat. <laughs> so how was that transition for you? Because when you're growing, right? So when you're, when you're growing up in the, in the business, you're going after the world, you're one, you know, you almost, we were, we were raised in a time where we weren't going for likes or loves. We were going for a person in the audience actually liking us, like, or like really liking us, not clicking like, and so you go from that point And then when did it turn to, because it, it almost seems like it's inevitable that it turns to those kind of comments and, and a person not wanting you to succeed. When did you see that switch start to happen? Well, let's just be clear. These 
these thoughts are big in people's minds. So just like, again, we walk into a room. I think I got this from Kristen Perel. Don't forget, she worked for Redkins. So in those heydays when we in, we were in New York kicking ass and we'd go to those big ABA balls at night and walk uh-huh. in with an entourage, Kristen would be sitting there with her Redkin people. So she's already made a judgment on me. And later when she joined Paul Mitchell, she seen me in action. She said, oh, my God, I'm so impressed by you. I, I, I had such low expectations, she told me. I'm like, that's, that's it. So when I first started doing these classrooms many, many years ago, you're fighting for an audience just like you're fighting for likes. And you'd be next door to people like Irvin Russ sometimes. Um, at the time, Philip Wilson and Lanza back in the day could pull a crowd. And then you're, you're trying to pull a crowd, you know, especially if you're in a classroom. I mean, you're trying to build followers. And then different things happen, and then suddenly you see you're in charge of it, you know, like you could build a crowd from thin air. And, you know, I've seen better talented people, but they didn't have a crowd. So what's the point? And I think you get a bit of that. So I just think the fact is we can be more vocal about it. And, you know, for me being the undercover cop, you know, in the bars and hanging with the people, I would get, you know, feedback from people. And as I say, most of it was positive, but occasionally you get a bit of negativity. Uh, when I first did the street jackets in Chicago, the girl said, I love you, Robert, but I'm not sure about all that bondage you showed on stage today I'm like bondage I didn't see it as bondage uh, you know one girl at JC Penney said I loved your show but you know I was in a straight jacket once I'm like okay <laughs> so you, you, get, you get feedback you know and sometimes you get the complaint letters which again is just like a negative comment um, this thing that I would say I've learned from it is at first I'm very hurt and I want to defend myself um, but over time, I just kind of learned to go. Okay, that's a. I gotta. I gotta honor that. I gotta say, okay, why? And JP would tell me this all the time. Why piss off five people? You know, if you're truly trying to win. So that's where we become a little more politician. Like you know, there's ways of saying stuff um, that can still be quite strong and you know believable, but doesn't have to alienate or you know piss off a bunch of people. Uh, many years ago, I used to say I was a schizophrenic. I was half business guy, half artist. So somebody said, Robert, I love you, but my, my sister's a schizophrenic. So I said, okay, I have, uh, what did I, so I changed it and said, I have a, I didn't say split personality because I think that's the same. I, I think I said dual personalities. I can't remember how I phrased it, but I fixed it right up and I never used that line again because I just could think of that one little fucking lady had her, you know, her, her sister was schizophrenic and, you know, it's an interesting time and, you know, and then you watch, let's go to Sophia Hilton, you know who that is? Yeah. Um, go to Gina Bianca uh-huh. and, you know, the thing I'm loving at all these kids, they just say what they want to say, uh, you know, and I think I missed that part because I think that because of who I am and where I'm at and who I represent, I can't just say exactly, you know, it's like that internet kid that's so brilliant um he's not a hairdresser what do you call him he's like biggest Gary guru Lee. in the world Gary yeah Lee. yeah he's mine i remember doing that as a kid without the internet i could speak my mind just like that right down to the fuck word but these days i just you know unless i decide you know to say jp i'm done i'm just going to be my own brand and i'm going to talk some shit but as i say even in my disposition i still I don't like negativity, so I, I don't really want that negative opinion. Um, when it's on a haircut, I just choose not to look at it. But when it's on, you know, belief system, I want to look through it. I want to, you know, 
check it down. I want to see where it's coming from. And, you know, as I say, apart from the way they start their comment, when I read into what they're saying, they're absolutely right. The way they start it by attacking me first, I'm like, let's just not, let's just put your point of view up there. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, people have got these opinions. And, you know, through politics, Black Lives Matter, um, there's a great little thing on Netflix. I don't know if you watch Netflix, but um, it's the year of 2020. So it's everything that happened, but it has some actors doing a different narrative. And it's really just the funny shit you would say about each of these situations. Um, like this one girl's in the bar and she starts smoking and everybody starts complaining. goes, ah, oh, shut up. You're wearing a mask. You know, like you're wearing a mask. You're protected. I'm going to smoke now. Um, just the commentary and they've got, um, what's his name? He's the, he's uh, Hugh Grant, who's, you know, leading man. Uh-huh. But they dress him up like an old guy, like Richard Attenborough. He's very convincing and he narrates it. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's in it. So they have different actors representing some of these scenarios. It is just funny. Every every little scenario is funny. And again, it's all based on what happened in 2020. And, you know, it's just funny shit to be said from it. And, you know, we'll see what kind of continues. And the vaccine is going to bring up a whole other, you know, just like religious belief. Not everybody's going to take this vaccine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there'll be rumors that people took it, it didn't work. People took it, got it. Uh, you're going to get a lot of stuff over this. So I think much like the mask wearers and non, uh, much like the 70 million people who had opposite opinions, you're going to get this with the vaccine. So does it create the roaring 20s afterwards when everybody feels safe? I'm not sure. Uh, should it be mandatory? In my big mind right now, I say, yeah. The only way to give the community, the world peace of mind is to make it mandatory. And, you know, as terrible as that is, but there are going to be people not going to do that vaccine. Yeah. So is it the savior of it all? It's not sure. And um, I'm curious. So I, just, I, I, I was going back, I was going back through uh, some, some notes and I, what sucks for me is I record all my meetings now. Um, uh-huh. And in, I believe it was uh, the Tuesday, maybe the Tuesday before the uh, shutdown, the first lockdown. Uh-huh. I'm on video saying to, to my crew, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. This isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been through things like this before. I went through 9-11. I went through, you know, uh, um, I went through all these, and I named off all these things that have no comparison. And then I said, yeah. and you know what? This is going to, everything's going to be okay, and we're going to be back to normal in a, a couple of weeks. What, yeah. <laughs> what was your famous last words that uh, through this time? Because when I said that, I wish it wasn't recorded, but it's recorded. And well, that's a lot of why that, that whole thing on 2020. So here's Trump saying, this is, <laughs> this is going to hurt us. Uh, we're going to be fine. Uh, people are going to, anyway, everything they're saying, because again, you don't know. And this is a situation uh, that we didn't know until we were, you know, what, what it really meant to our business. We could only speculate. So I think the, the classic one that me and Carrie kept always talking about, as of today, we're open. As of today, <laughs> we're closed. As of today, you're fired. But very much as of today is the kind of safety point you want to throw into all conversations because you really don't know what tomorrow brings. And I seen the first shutdown. I didn't foresee us getting shut down a second time nor a third. And, you know, just based on what I see going on everywhere else in the world. So it's been a kind of interesting one to take. But um, some people's viewpoint is very much... That was Steph calling me back. I had to decline it. 
so I think it's being in the moment again uh, for the things you can control, drink coffee, and the things you can't control, drink tequila. There's just certain stuff not to put your mind on because unless you're working directly with Governor Newsom, you don't have that control. If you're working directly with the unemployment office, you know, these are all things you have no control over. So you're at the whim of the people. And then the things we do control, these are the things we got to get our kind of mindset on. And I was just say for, you know, the biggest thing that's invisible right now, Kelly, it's home hair. Mm. You know, people are doing it at home. I know already, even when we come back to doing it at home. So good news this week, the unemployment did go back up, which is a savior because if they got paid just what they were entitled to, they would definitely be doing more and more home hair. Um, But I'm just saying, do we recover from this? Because if I'm getting it in the convenience of my home, and remember this, the client feels the safest in her own home. And, you know, I'm just saying these are things that, you know, at first I thought it was an opening, but I don't need brick and mortar. I just need an agency where I send talent to your home. Wow. I call it hair dash. Yes. So what do you, I mean, but, what do you think? But, like, but, let's, but let's look at through. I send some little haughty girl over to your house. Oh, and you're that's a not good. Exactly. So to me, then I'm looking at liabilities. I'm like, well, shit. And the only way to do it would be two people. Now, do people really want to pay for two folks to come over to their house? Probably not. So I'm just saying it's a biggie. Uh, it's going to be invisible. And, but I think it's happening. I think it's happening. I think Donna's doing hair at home. Um, I'm pretty sure Anthony and Austin are just based on when they were working, how many clients they have now. Um, I just think it's going to be a, a, it's a big thing. It's a big thing. So what did you think? Like, what did you think that you would never, uh, that you thought you would never do that you did this year? Uh, Because I think a lot of, I was just talking with the salon owner, Jen Horder says hello, by the way, from DC. I was just talking with her. And uh-huh. she was, uh, I mean, she was like, you know, she found some candles uh, <laughs> that were $3 last year. And she just bought a bunch of them because they were on sale or whatever it was. And when the pandemic hit, she took the candles and sold them for $20 because they, she had bought them all out. So you couldn't get them anywhere else. And, uh-huh. I, and I, you know, from if we would have been talking two years ago, yeah, you know, Jen probably would have said, I mean, she's willing to do whatever, but there's a lot of people that are doing things this year that they never thought they would. And I want to let everyone know that it's okay because we got to get through stuff. What are some of the things that you as a person, specifically Robert, that you thought you would never do that you're either you're actually doing? Uh, uh, Hiring uh, that we are now hiring for the first time in our history, Kelly stylists. Now, first day I did interviews, I was like, okay, I'm screwed. This is never going to work. And then the next day I did three and one girl brought in her Instagram page. It was as good as, you know, harebrained and BTC combined. It was gorgeous. She's self-propelled, which means she's building her client from her page. And she had one look at the salon and said, I got to work here. So I felt a bit of confidence. This girl's, you know, already booked and knows how to book herself. So she just needs cool, cool digs. So uh, as we're going through that, you know, we used to build these kids from internals. So that's a big change that, Hiring from other salons was never a dream, and yet right now I think it's appropriate. Uh, let's just go to the freelance world. Now you lost a few to that. I lost a few to that. <laughs> can, we, can we hold on? You said a few. <laughs> I, I mean, Robert, in the last let's let's say five years, what would you say yep. as far as revenue wise uh, to let the let the people understand and know the impact? 
what would that be? What would that number well, be around about? Well, let me just say that I've been losing to this long before there was a Sola, long before there was a Phoenix Suite, long before there was a Salon Republic, okay? Because used to be freelance was underground kind of businesses and, uh, you know, nothing wrong with it. But I would have to put a number just based on the highest we've ever been over the years I've been open. It's, it's probably about 5 to $6 million in revenue. Yeah. I feel you. So, and again, this is revenue we built the hard way. We built from reputation. So, you know, the kid went from zero to 100,000, 150, 200, whatever the number was. And, you know, at the end of the day. So, here's a little statement I made a few weeks ago that's pretty clever. Um, if you are a freelance hairdresser and the old way you were bringing in two grand and now you're bringing in a grand, you just, your rent just doubled in percentage. So what you may need if you've got a part-time clientele is a part-time job, not a full-time rent. So I think it's time for guys like you and I to advertise what we offer to say that no matter where you're coming from, whether it's freelance, whether you're coming from a chain, whether you're, whatever you're coming from and still being smart, you know, not hiring from your next door neighbor and shit, but you know, people want to start again. They want a different situation. So I just think we got to get heavy on recruitment. And, um, you know, every single week, if you could pick up a hairdresser, uh, you've got to find a way because our way of hiring and training rising stars to get there is too long a process. They may not make it when they get there. Uh, there's just so many deterrents. So again, I think we just got to be really experts in hiring. And, you know, that's a big, big shift for us that we've never really had to do. And, um, and obviously these are important decisions. So I'm interviewing everybody personally. Um, but, it's, uh, you know, pretty incredible, especially because I feel I am, you know, kids are shitting their pants while they're talking to me, especially if they went to one of our schools or, or whatever. So I, I know it's kind of intimidating, but, um, you know, as I say, I, I meet the industry. You see them at sport clips, super cuts. There's some good kids out there that with one left turn could have been one of your top stars. They turned left and they went instead of right and they're working at super cuts. Uh, there's people out there every single day and I'm just saying this is an opportunity to really design on what we've learned, what's important. To me, the call center is going to be important. Having seven-day-a-week reservation coverage that you don't have to deal with at home is a big reason. Um, you know, trying to find the ways to make our business better. And if I don't have all that percentage on rising stars and I can make the desk more efficient, then where I've lost the freelance, maybe I can actually beef up the paycheck a little bit so I'm not losing over money. Because I can't say without any other exception that it's ever been because of personality. It's always been money-driven. Wow. And the big whom in that is taxation. Because, they, you know, if you were making $100 for me and it got taxed 30%, you made 70 Now you're seeing the 100 And you haven't seen the tax yet, so you're just going to go with it. And all the freelancers are taking a beating, not getting unemployment, etc., it's because they weren't running it like a business, like they say they've got their own business, but they really aren't running it like they're an employee of that business, which is the way to get unemployment. Um, you know, I didn't apply for it, but I was actually entitled to unemployment. Um, but the reality there is just the, the whole industry. Uh, you know, I asked Eric, how are your people doing at Salon Republic? And he says, well, hopefully they've done everything right in their business, so they'll get unemployment. And, and in some cases, PPP money. I mean, all in proportion to their business. But if they're running it in their pocketbook, which is what most of them are doing, then they're never going to get the benefits of that. Wow. 
and I just think we have to do this. So I just think we've got to reassess where the values are and where people would find value. Do you really want to go to the beauty supply every day, pick up your shit? No. So having the full use of products, full use of space, um, you know, and then getting ready for a part-time industry, Kelly. Uh, you know, Terry taught us 200 clients to be loyal. After I met the millennials, I dropped it to 150. And after COVID, it's 100 people who love you, period. With the right frequency of visit and the right average ticket. And then more importantly, people you actually love. That when you see their name on your book, you're like, fuck off, I'm working on these people today. It's too good. Because that's, again, I don't want read cursed by <clears throat> those La Jolla ladies that used to come to Takashi. The facelift's so tight. You know, there's no, it just, it's just, I want him to find a free spirited clientele that are more like his friends. Um, and I think this is critical that what hairdressers have learned, like Brooklyn talked about, there is a balance that we didn't know we were getting. We were just thrown into the fire and we just kept running on the hot coals. But now we slowed it down. Now you get the look of what is the balance of you being a great hairdresser, being nice to people. And think about the people we've seen that can keep that nice, beautiful persona up. And then when they get busy, they become just freaks of badness, mm. you know, from, you know, just overwhelmed. I think the pace of the industry has been the biggest destructive force in it. And we picked that up from the 50s and 60s. Um, so the new pace is moving slower with more discipline, more purpose. And I guarantee you that you could actually be seeing half the clients and make the same money. And I would say for my crew, when I look at their hourly rate, they all look like they need a raise based on today's performance because they're hardly working any hours. They're hitting beautiful average tickets. They're having nice dollar outcomes with three guests. And they're only doing it in six hours. Whereas the old commission way, they'd be putting 12 hours in. So there's some, it's a shift, Kelly. It's a reset to the business model and how we interpret it. And that's going to be the critical part moving forward. Um, but as I say, even though I'm Robert Cummings, I can't guarantee I can pull this off either, uh, especially on the big store. And, you know, really, if I put it all together, I maybe have one team right now, but I have two stores. So kind of like the booth runner, I'm telling you right now, you may have half the business. You may not need to be paying. Like solo is 400 a week. So if you're bringing in a thousand, which is a kind of typical number, Kelly, yeah, right. If you're bringing in a thousand, your rent is forty percent. What's the difference working for you and me then? If you're that's just your rent. That's not even the cost of your color, all the other shit you got to do. That's just your rent, forty percent. And even if you were doing two thousand, which would be a great score, which is way above average, you're still at twenty percent rent. Uh, you know, that's a high number. Yeah. So I'm just saying we got to kind of open up and that's the discussion that, you know, freelance seems like the golden bridge, but it, it's all perspective of how we put it back into play and where our values lay. And I just know if I was a freelancer, I don't want clients calling and texting me at home. Um, I'd rather we had a full reservation team and you'll see a bigger outcome on it uh, financially because a great reservation can take them on a journey of experience. Um, somebody just, you know, multitasking like Sue did for so many years. They're doing everything, but they're not doing anything well. The most important thing is holding your client's hand during that appointment make. And, you know, don't drop on that. But the rest of it can be all replaced with technology. And Tony's self-checking. He's checking out his own clients. Tony. Tony, for the first time in 29 years, is selling retail. Wow. Why does he take a guess why he's selling retail? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's checking them out. 
duties on shampoos. Yeah. So the dropping ball situation of an assistant program that you and I have built, because it's how we built our crew, I'm just saying we got to look at that. If we don't have an assistant program moving forward, how do we recruit? And, you know, it's not like trying to find 50 people. As I say, if I could just focus on getting one or two a month, this would be taking me in the direction I need because to rebuild my business, I need a combination of clients, which I think are there. But more importantly, it's staffing that I'm short of right now. Wow. So it's a big issue. And, you know, we still got a little store in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. uh, their overhead's small. Their payroll is teensy. I mean, minimum wage out there is eight fifty. We're going up to 14 bucks pretty soon, Kelly, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of kids in PV I got to let go because, you know, according to what I would pay them normally on their revenue to hours, they'd be making 11 bucks an hour. And they've been just lingering. So you've got to make, you know, some business choices beyond. And the old way was being patient with these kids. But if it's a case of, I can't control the volume of the salon, but if I can make a little profit on any number, then I'm good. And this is where we got to get into the efficiencies of it. You know, that I think are just as critical as the clever ways we make money. What's the clever ways we save money? And I think that's a big part. And renegotiate with your landlord because this isn't a hunch. This is stuff you have data to prove. So, you know, my PV store is half rent. I'm going to hold them to that, you know, all year. I'm not going to go back up. So 3500 I can make this work. I only need to do 30000 a month. So I'm just saying it's a game change that our landlords have to participate in. And, you know, Salon Republic has 17 stores. He's had 50% of his landlords be agreeable and, you know, working with them. And then 50%, they don't give a shit. They just want their money. And again, that's pretty consistent with the rest of the world too. You know, some buildings are run by 401ks and pension plans. It's not some fat owner that can afford not to have it. And some of these businesses are mortgaged. So when they're not getting rent from six tenants, they've got a mortgage to pay. So there's another ripple to this on the commercial side that's going to have an impact. Um, but, you know, we build our salons with square footage. You're pretty efficient on that. Studio B is pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And now you're finding that to every, you know, John McCormick, every available link he uses. And now you got to see, you got to open that up. You cannot have it be so close. So it's not, you know, it's how many stations can you get into this to make this much money? Well, you're going to have to switch overheads considerably. So, the, you know, for me, I'm, I, I'm looking for that beautiful, give me that 50% rent again. Give me something that is way off the beaten path because it gives you the wiggle room. But uh, a high street location is going to be immune for most people because you just can't make the business work. You can't get enough chairs into that type of building for a higher rent because you can't space it that way. Now, do you think that you're the, the model for you in, in California, too, stays in a very similar as far as compensation-wise, or are you looking at different ways um, also, too? I mean, are you looking at, um, you know, when you're bringing on stylists, uh, like a, a newer stylist, are you just, are you, are you adjusting, um, you know, compensation-wise that, that you've done in the past, or are you, are you bringing them into that and showing them the math? Well... It's got to fit on a napkin. Nothing's changed there. They got to understand it. That's the most important part. And let's be clear: they didn't understand commission. <laughs> yeah. So, and commission, when you look at it from an employee point of view, it said, "Kelly, I am going to give you fifty percent. You're going to bring in three thousand, but it may have taken you eighty-three hours." 
So I'm just saying to be efficient here, it's the right average ticket on the right timeline. And I would say that to me, the clarity of it, if I've got a few more points to be more generous, uh, I think you've got to, you know, think about like a point system. So maybe I'm going to give you 40 points for working here, but I'll give you 42 if you're a retailer, you know, above 20%. I'll give you 44 if your, you know, retention number is 80%. And start building in these habits. So really what you're doing is you're paying performers the highest premium they can make. And, if, you know, you've got a kid in there who's doing nothing magical. They're making 40%. Can't hurt you there. So I do think there's some clarity to it. I also think for me, at least, and you're not far behind me, the buying power of our product is different. And if you look at the cost of goods on product, in a typical salon, it's probably 50%. The cost of running a salon is 50%. So I've been working on a couple of systems, I think, that to really create a retail culture. Again, right now, downtown is high street rent, and I'm not treating it like bed, bath, and beyond and making all that revenue from retail. So what can I do to make it into a retail store that's selling 30 and 40% retail? And the only way I could see that being happening is if the kids are making money out of it. So at a 40% fixed rate, I think I could treat product and service the same. I don't know if you understood that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got it. So you're a, you're a young kid, and this works really good for the kids. You're a young kid. We only had two guests. You got $100 ticket each. And then you sold $100 of retail. So you actually got credit for, you know, on each guest, you got credit for 400, 40% of 400. Oh, wow. Okay. I also think, think about this. So I'm going to leave, go rent my own space. Well, are you going to go into the retail business? Because most don't. So I'm just saying it almost seems to me as a backfiring way that could give you the incentive to stay there because, you know, you're making, whenever you sell shampoo or whatever, you're treating them the same. So, you know, look how you go crazy for a highlight. You're like, wow, cha-ching. Then uh, downtown, because it's a very different business. I'm sure all of yours are too. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we've been seeing $300 average tickets right now, so we're doing great. But there I actually want to play with a sliding scale that is more based on if you sell, 10% retail, 15, 20, 30, 40, and at 40% retail or 35 or somewhere in that region, I can actually pay you 70% of your service. Wow. So again, I put this in an ad, Kelly. So, you know, are you a retailer? Are you into this, into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, you know, you can make up to 70%. And I think this is really, could be an interesting one again, because I have a little more margin in the product, but I guess the, the lockdown, I had to really question why I have the salons in the first place. And the only reason was to show off with it. And if I'm really going to have it to honor the company, I'm like, well, sure, if I'm going to have them, why can't I celebrate a 30 and 40% retail sale? And at the end of the day, on a percent, the money's the same. But the old way, we make lots of profit on it, but we sell very little. So I'm just saying, let's get it up to where we're making a little bit of profit on it, but we're actually selling some. And it's also leaning into their pay scale there's only so much room on the service dollar but again they're only making it because they're performing and again this in California is complicated it's a I mean you don't have to do it every 12 weeks right now you could do it every month a little more paperwork but it can be done and you know get people interested in performing the indicators that make the biggest difference to their paycheck and livelihood and I think that's the kind of clarity we're going to uh, freelance no entertainment of that. We, you know, if we had that, that's our only option is to go freelance, at least in the locations I currently have made. Uh, there's no way 
Um, the only way I would go into something like that is if I do move locations into a white elephant building where pretty much, you know, you could cubicles are a reality. <laughs> like so on Republic, his business thing is beautiful. So, you know, that, that type of security, you remember in Vegas, they wanted the isolated room for Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. He was the only guy I ever used it. But people didn't want privacy then, but now they will. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, as you build into other things, you've got a big chunk of real estate. Like when we had the A Street, we had a big chunk. You know, if you had chopped that down, sealed it off, and rented it out, that could make a big difference to the business. So maybe it's a collab of it. And, um, you know, some of the lawmakers really are connected to solar and stuff because they help make that rule that you can't have it co- coexist like Liz and Henry. They had to do an upstairs booth rent downstairs commission or team. And I would just say that that seems like a terrible block because a lot of California salons were actually working with a balance of the two. And, um, but that changed. And when I started working with the lawmakers, with TBA and the Federation, and they start name dropping who they've been working with, I go, that would explain why that law was passed. (laughs) So they have influence. Uh, the bigger companies have influence. McDonald's have influence over minimum wage. They were the biggest proponent of making it escalate because um, they have so many people on payroll, so they have a voice. John McCormick in Texas and um, Sport Clips, they have such a voice that big companies that they were able to take 1,500 hours for state board and get it down to 1,000. And that's the problem in California. Because we're all independent, none of us are throwing enough money on the table to be looked at. Meanwhile, strip clubs are. Cheetahs has more power than the whole beauty industry to defy the government and get away with it. I mean, you've seen that part, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mary and I are going to start pole dancing. You'll pay <laughs> Mary to dance and you'll pay me to get off. <laughs> so, so with all these, uh, you know, all the impacts that have happened, right, all the challenges, I, I've never, I've never had a conversation with you, whether it been, you know, one like now on a podcast or, um, on a plane or in, in the bar or wherever that you haven't gone to solution and that you haven't kept a mindset that just is like, okay, it it is like, I accept it. And then we're going to make these things better. How are you able to continually take impacts the way that you do in your life and in your career and all the throughout and still keep, uh, uh, you know, a glass all the way full, uh, mentality. You know, I think it's conditioning. Uh, again, going back to our hair show reality, you know, you're working with audiences every day and, you know, I would do some things and you'd be with me often. We do four classes a day and tell me this didn't happen to you. And somebody said, I seen you today. And you say, which one do you see me in? Because right? <laughs> I knew that class number two was better than three or whatever it was. I was a little slow in the morning. So you, you kind of learn to adapt. Even a job that you do so well, that every day your ebb and flows with a thing called an audience because it can change things, that live scenario. So in some cases, we've already painted ourselves in a corner, Kelly. You know, we have no choice. It's like, you know, hanging out with JP, hanging out with Wynn, other great visionaries. They're going to they're gonna have a viewpoint that things are going to get better. That's just a conditioning of it. And I think that's a more healthy one than, you know, thinking of all the things you don't control. So, you know, there's been times I think Mary nudged me and said, you know, when are you going to turn into Robert Cronin's 
you know, the first few days of the first shutdown because business was already tough. I didn't need anything to make it tougher. Uh, we weren't on easy street, Kelly. So the reality of this kind of hitting us and then seeing where we've got to adapt to, the thing about the moving ship is very hard to change it. So the thing that we've really enjoyed about the, the slowdowns and the closures, we've actually been able to go right inside. We upgraded into Mevo software, which is being an impossible task if you were open 24-7. But having those two or three months of closure, we were able to adapt to it. Um, you know, go into non-cash payment, you know, uh, DocuSign waivers curbside waiting, all the different things, self-checkout. So no longer is somebody waiting in line to go check out after sitting in the salon for three hours. These are all things that we should have been doing anyway, but we resisted. Uh, and I just think that, to me, there's so many possibilities still today, probably more today, because there's a gap of something missing that somebody's going to figure out, whether it's me, you, or somebody listening to this podcast. You know, there's there's a gap in things. We've got to re-sort of situate it and rethink it from what it's at today and not the good old days. Uh, I've always heard that in the end. Oh, remember the good old days, Robert? People would tell me, I'm like, shit, the good old days? How do you? There's no such thing. Just the good old, good, good new days. And that's, otherwise, where's your motivation for life? If everything was great, you know, I was a rock star. I did air shows all over the world. People would wait in line to get a photo of me. You know, the reality was unbelievable. But that wasn't the, the highlight of it all. Um, you know, the highlight is still to come. And, you know, as I say, my business needed to have a checkup from the neck up. And the reality of this COVID situation, I've been able to look at it. Uh, we're treating it a lot more like a business than a hair salon than ever before. So the things that you would let slip emotionally, that you know, you just let go because it seems like such a, an emotional decision. And these days we just can't. And at the end of the day, if it's not a business, meaning it's not making profit, then we got to look at it just like any other business owner and make decisions. And I'm always going to be in the beauty industry. I'm always going to be with Paul Mitchell. Um, so whether I'm traveling on planes and doing hair shows, I've got stuff I can contribute from afar, but I don't feel that the salon industry is, you know, I hope they're dwelling on what can we do to be different right now and to create a whole thing. Believe it or not, safety protocols for us has been a huge one. Who would imagine that we, you know, my, you and I are, <laughs> usually brought into companies to trick people into doing the shit they ought to do. And if to get a hairdresser to change one habit, to pick up one new word of dialogue or one new technique is so hard sometimes. And here we pick up 14 new protocols, 14 new ways to keep you safe. The old way before Corona, people would leave us long because it was dirty. So that shows you where the industry's at. Um, but the reality now is we are extra super clean, rigorously cleaning, you know, and making a big deal about it like a platform artist would do it. Like you and I would clean a station. We are going to get committed to it. There's going to be some crouching tiger. Uh, you know, it's make a big deal about these protocols because right now the best way to build a business isn't showing me rainbow hair or perfect baby light on screen. Show me how you're going to keep me safe. My clients are risking their life to come sit in your chair. What are you going to do? You're not trapped by pace anymore. You know, first when this happens, people say, how are we going to make money if we're not triple booking? The reason you're not making money and triple booking is because you're not performing each guest. That is a fact, Kelly. That is one fact of the industry long before COVID. We are doing seven people to get a score that if you really applied yourself to three, you'd do better. My wife's a great example of that. Uh, Mary's numbers are not down from last year. She's still having $1,000 days. She still has 25% retail scores. 
because she knows how to manage these clients. She's having lunch for the first time in 25 years. She's taking it easy. She's not crazing herself. She's not forgetting the client's name. She's not dropping the ball on the consultation. She's making the professional recommendations, bringing things like hair AI and all the things you can do to create an ideal experience. You will see your ticket double. I mean, we, we probably, even in TV, they went, they had $70 increases per ticket by moving slower. And I just think this could be a great gift, not just for the business, but for the hairdresser having that balance of peace of mind. You know what I'm saying? That they're not frazzled, that they're not pretending to listen to the client. They're actually engaged. They don't put the color on and then disappear for 45 minutes while it processes. Entertain that lady, entertain that guy. Give him the entertaining experience they deserve. And I think that'll help create that frequency of visit. They'll feel safe, they'll want to come back come and see you more often. I can't tell you how many places I used to frequent that I'm not prepared to go to now just because it wasn't worth it. Uh, you know, I go to restaurants, they're okay, but I prefer to cook at home because I'm pretty good at it. Why go through a restaurant experience for the risk or any other, you know, reason? I'm just saying these habits are going to shift for life. I talked about it for years with you, Kelly, 21 days to create a habit. The habits of clients and hairdressers has been forever changed based on the time off we've had. And based on that, that we can never imagine from where we were, we've got to imagine a new world in a different capacity. So being optimistic is just the only way that we've got to look at it. And again, if you've got people there pulling you down and different things, you know, uh, you know, everybody's talking about getting rid of those people. I, I don't think it's about getting rid of anybody. It's about listening to other people's opinions to form a good middle. I loved a song last year. I'll meet you in the middle. We've got to meet in the middle more. Because when I learn from Salon Republic or Sport Clips and all the people we get to work for, even though I have my own brand, I learn so much from each of those. And if I wasn't Robert Cromies for Paul Mitchell, I'd never get insight to these companies. And it's that insight that gives me faith in the future that there's other ways to do this. I mean, I think was it we watched the Intercoffee or Sport Clips get up there and they said, how much did they do in revenue in men's haircuts? Over was it one billion? No, almost a billion, seven hundred seventy-five million dollars one year. Yeah, so you, that's an unimaginable number. <laughs> then he said a statement in front of the biggest salon owners in the world: if a store does four hundred thousand, they make a hundred thousand dollar profit. And everybody out there that's got stores doing twelve million and not making a cent out of it, we're flabbergasted. I'm just saying it's not. It's not about hating your enemy. It's getting to know what's going on in all these little buckets and forming out. Like, why does Sport Clips not do hair color? Everybody's like, oh, you should. But they have a mathematical equation knowing exactly what they do do, like in an out burger, and do it so well while other salons keep adding shit to the menu every day. You know, they, they brought in a, you know, surf and turf haircut. <laughs> you know, like, okay, do we really need that? Oh, a little pumpkin spice hair color you know i'm just saying we're, we're pushing too hard on the wrong things we got to slow it down focus on each guest and then pay attention to what's going on there uh because i learned from these organizations it's probably the best part so i'm not just stuck in my own little bubble of what my business is and when i work for these guys my business just like yours is nothing like sport clips nothing like supercuts nothing like floyd's barbershop um, but the reality is we've got to find a way to connect to them and what is important and, you know, as I say, I love the diversity of it. And if I take it a little further, people like Van Council, who's an Aveda guy, uh, Carrie Davis in my hometown, Aveda. I also have an ear, you know, I have a phone call away from any artist in the world, whether they're a Paul Mitchell person or not. 
And I, I call in on that, especially right now. I've been doing more podcasts, more interviews than ever before, and learning so much about what's going on in the world. Um, whether it's additional shutdowns, what's going on in the UK, they've just had their second shutdown. Uh, that's when it first started to pop up that people were leaving the salon and never to return to start doing hair at home. And that was a big shift over there because they're way behind on the freelance world in the UK. But overnight, they're going to be right there. Uh, there'll be a much different freelance world coming back into this. And how many salons are closed, I can't speculate, but I absolutely know that in uh, the 2009 recession, maybe 20 to 30% salon closures, I wouldn't be surprised to see up to 50% based on the business model shifting. And if you can't control the overhead, meaning rent and expenses, then the only other option is you need a smaller overhead. Uh, just like, you know, if you can't afford the house you live in, a smaller house may be perfect. So I do see the trend of smaller salons, uh, more isolated, more incubated. Um, for me, I still want the feel of being able to see stuff because I think that's a reality. Um, but, you know, the, the, the pace of the business forever changed. And, you know, you'll see a salon, if you think of my downtown location, sometimes there could be 20 to 30 people in the building at any given busy moment. And they walk in there and see five or six just well-placed throughout the building. And clients actually enjoying it because that old way, they knew the difference when you were putting on seven colors. They knew when you were running behind. They could feel it, you know, like Santa Claus. They knew when you were naughty or nice. And I just think this new pace, if we adhere to it, everybody's worried if they should charge more. I think if you just work your menu um, to each client, I don't think you need to increase prices per se, unless you've been charging, you know, $3. But <laughs> the reality is there was, there was meat on this bone. There was low-hanging low fruit that you did not take advantage of under the guise of being busy. And that is just the fact that Millennium has proved to me for years. It's the same conversation I was having long before COVID, Kelly. But today it matters. Today it counts. And I think people need to know that. Uh, you may be doing okay as a hairdresser, but I'm just saying find that balance between your family or being an educator or how much content you want to build a week. But you don't need to be a slave to it like you were when you worked for me 60, 70 hours a week for 200 bucks. Um, those days are, uh, it's just a different thing with the millennials. And I think we got to build a different experience because, you know, that rite of passage used to be, that's how you had to get there. It's not how the young kids are going to do it. And old guys like me are not going to make them do it. Um, that was some of the death by the older salons and different generations. They were sticking to their systems no matter what. And you've heard me tell the story of Teasy Weezy. Uh, he had his own jet, you know, he had gold chandeliers in his salon, uh, he had all that, but he was definitely broke at the end of it. And that is quite common for a lot of hairdressers in the world, believe it or not. There is no out on this business kind of thing. And right now, if you're in business and it's not working, nobody's going to give any judgment whatsoever if you close it. And I feel the same way when my staff have always had an option to move on. Uh, this is the first time I've been given an option to move on because, you know, this is a devastating situation to our business. And just because I'm Robert Cromings, I'm definitely not immune to it. So I feel for other people out there. But if you look at your business and say, I, I think I should close this, go for it. If you look at what you've been doing as a hairdresser and don't love it as much as to risk your life doing it, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. I wish what they would do in uh, London, Kelly, they have hackney camps. Yeah, well. But there's only so many licensed hackney camps in London, no matter what. So somebody has to retire, they have to die for you to get a taxi license. 
They give away hair salon permission for people to open hair salons. Uh, I think they need to sort of bring down the numbers so there's fewer hair salons with more meaning. And I think these are all things that if we get involved politically as we move ahead, I think they're like a liquor license. Not everybody in your neighborhood can have a liquor license. There's only so many go out. And yet, for some reason, Amy with a dream who's been in hairdressing for three months has the right to go open a salon. <laughs> and I learned this the hard way when we looked at the, the numbers of California. I was so blown away to see how many licensed professionals there are. Um, and I was like, wow. And I said, well, that could explain why it's so difficult to build because people are so competitive. There's so many salons. Uh, I drove in a neighborhood yesterday. I mean, four in Hillcrest, um, just across the street from each other. It's unbelievable. And, you know, you'll see this in cities like Atlanta, but I'm just saying these are crazy times. So fewer salons, more meaning. Fewer guests, more meaning. To me, these are the strategies. Find the balance of the quality of your life. And, you know, what else do you want to do? You want to be a teacher. You want to be a better parent. You want to go to soccer games. I mean, my daughter's, you know, could go to the Olympics volleyball. I hardly seen her play because I've been traveling my whole life. You know, so the reality is there's certain things you've learned through this that you really enjoy a lot. Um, you know, find the balance. And if it means working less, then find the connection. Well, how much do I need to make? How much per client do I need to see? And if you understand you actually control that, uh, you'll be a much happier hairdresser. And that's all I think I've ever cared about. Uh, you know, we used to get in trouble because we talk about money. It's not about the money. It's just what game you got to play to give you the life you want. And for you and I, that's going to be very different. You know, I'll give you a pair of sneakers, you'll roll for 10 years. Uh, you know, for me, I'm probably more on the happiness and the everyday kind of enjoyment more than anything else. Uh, things I miss the most is, yeah, that standing ovation, making a crowd go crazy. But every day, Kelly, and I know you're doing it on Zoom, I'm learning every day how to do what I used to do in a live situation through the camera. And it's just as amazing. I'm calling people out. There's 500 people on them, and I'm in your living room with you. And I got your name on your window. So I can call you out by name, which I could never do at a show. <laughs> um, so I'm just saying that I'm kind of going into this new frontier that I don't have to get on a plane and get a strip search to go do what I do. Uh, we had a class, I think, holiday, we called it a couple of weeks ago. I think Brooklyn watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary and I, we did it. We premeditated it all. So we didn't even do hair live. It was all this little bits we put together. It was a two-hour show. I got long hair from Noogie. Uh, I mean, it was just like watching a full hair show. And we had, um, you know, six, seven, eight hundred people online. And this, to me, is the future of it. And, you know, because I traipsed around the world for 35 years, seven million miles, um, doesn't mean it's the only way to take platform and the only way to build a crowd. And the old days we called it a draw. You've got to build a draw meaning that when you're on the docket and you're coming to a show, wherever it may be, that people want to come see you. And, you know, as I say right now, to me, it's the most wide open opportunity for the beauty industry, especially the people that want to lead it. And especially the people that want to, you know, become, you know, famous, whatever way you want to interpret it. Um, this is a great opportunity. And, um, you know, I would just say that would be my advice for everybody. And I think you've done very, very well. Um, you know, putting stuff out there. I don't think I can get on my Facebook. I've got two pages. I cannot get on them without the second or third picture being something from you. And then you've got memories <laughs> and that just doubles it up. So I got every memory Kelly's ever had. Uh, I posted a story. And you remember this a uh, couple of Christmas ago, I drowned the Hummer. Remember yes. that one? Yes. yes. <laughs> well, it came up on my memories and it was 10 years ago. 
And, you know, you got to just put it in perspective. And everybody, I just showed the picture. Everybody wanted to know the story. Uh, I think the story kind of went, Mary was working as she does. It was three, four days before Christmas. And uh, she said, what are you going to do today, honey? I said, I'm going to clean the house and get it ready for Christmas. And as soon as she left, I left. And it was the biggest rainstorm ever in San Diego. A lot of the roads were flooded, closed off. But, hey, I drive a Hummer. I'm good. So somehow where people couldn't even get into the mall, I somehow got to the mall. Uh, I picked up a pair of um, from Neiman Marcus, uh, Louis Vuitton thigh boots, Louis, uh, and they're just gorgeous, the most gorgeous boots you've ever seen. I wish they fit me. So I finally get the boots. I think I'm covered. And she's going to be so surprised. I get them in the car, and I'm trying to get back to North Park. As I'm driving around, all the roads are closed. I can't get out. Can't, and then I see one that's kind of got water on it, but I'm like, I got a Hummer. I can make it. So I took it. Well, halfway through, the engine clonked out, and there I am in the middle of San Diego River. And within a minute or two, there's a helicopter above me. So here's the point of view. First of all, I've lied to my wife. <laughs> and I'm just about to be on Channel 7. So talk about caught in a lie. Uh, so, you know, I've got my beautiful Hummer car, which I used to love the Hummers, and I've got this Hummer. But my biggest fear here, so I'm sitting in the car for 30 minutes, which gave me a chance to rehearse, because now I see TV cameras outside the river, and I'm still inside the car. And I don't know if you've ever been on an airline, but they tell you in the case of emergency, leave your shit behind, just get off. So my biggest fear is when the river rescues come to get me that this beautiful Neiman Marcus bag with the gift bow on it. So when the guy came to the car, I said, listen, man, I am not getting out of this car unless you take the gift <laughs> to go home without a car and the gift. I'm not, not doing that. I need the box. So on TV, you see, first of all, coming out the window is this like large, I mean, it's big. It's about three feet long this large box coming out with a big ribbon on it. And then eventually I come out on it. And when I got to the front and I started doing the TV, and he's like, Hey, you want to do an interview? I said, sure. Uh, I said, you know, I made a mistake. I thanked the river rescue guys for taking the risk and all that stuff. And when they got me on TV, they said, Robert Cummings, normally a very smart man, but today he made a mistake. So at least he got me normally very smart. Uh, but it was just hilarious. And then, of course, at the end of the day, I lost the car. Uh, it was written off. I saved the boots and I was expecting, you know, some type of reward from Neiman Marcus or something uh, for being, you know, just the greatest, sweetest husband shopper ever. <laughs> but let me close it with this, Kelly. I would have to think that was a pretty bad day. <laughs> like, okay, I, I got caught lying my ass off. I lost a car that was very valuable, uh, that I love, love, love. Uh, and, you know, you think of how you've just got to put it in perspective. perspective. Today could be a bad day. It may never be, not be the worst day you ever encounter. And I just think, again, it's that kind of attitude. I think Mary's only concerned that I was safe. Uh, I think a lot of people got kind of tickled by it. But to me, looking back on that memory just last week, I'm like, you know, I probably thought that was the worst day ever. And then I look at today and go, oh, my God, you know, there's some competitive dates here. Uh, the recession in 2009, I've seen some things happen that you think this is the worst thing ever. But... Uh, you know, that's just part of life. And it's, again, what you go to in the next stage. And, you know, I got to believe there's a future. And whether that's just me being happy and, you know, doing little bits on the Internet or, you know, we'll see. But I feel right now the industry needs leadership more than ever before. Uh, we've always said this in the absence of leadership. Andy will take the microphone. I see a bit of that. Um, you know, that word authenticity. I wish they under people really understood what that is. Uh, to be authentic isn't just, you know, saying it. I'm, I'm authentic and I'm a brand. 
Uh, I was a brand for many years. I didn't know I was. That's not the most important thing. What is important, how we service a client, what's most important a client's experience, it's the experience, um, not the outcome. And as much as, you know, right now we've been closed down again, people say, why don't you disobey the, the governor? I would never think of such a thing because more important than a haircut and a highlight is somebody passing away of this disease. Uh, one of the salons I coach has maybe 400, 500 employees. Over the course of this epidemic, 30 or 40 have been infected, uh, not passing any on to guests. Uh, one young lady at 30 years old died. 30 years old. Wow. This lady had survived cancer. She beat cancer and died of COVID. So when you bring it into your backyard and you realize what's most important, the length of your bangs or your gray grow out or the quality of life and the fact that you got to protect people, it's our industry. Uh, I'm not serving cocktails here. Uh, it's all the life and thing. I, I did a show years ago. You've seen it. I called it the young at heart. You remember I put the older women in latex? Yeah. Kind of yeah. switched the audience seeing it. So I called it a couple of things. On the script, I called it the young at heart, which is very sweet. When I was rehearsing, I would call it oldie locks because I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> now, now I call it, uh, this is my clientele I'm talking about now. These are now, now I call it girls I went to school with. Because <laughs> I'm in that, you know, I'm nearly I'm 58 right now. I'm going to be 60 soon enough. And I'm just saying some of my clients have been in my chair for 35 years. So I'm just saying I've got clients that are 70 and above. And I, as I say, the, the worst thing that can happen in the world is not a highlight going wrong or a haircut. I can fix those things. It's just taking a, a, a chance or the liability. And for those of you guys doing home hair, if you are, I just say, you know, wear the full amount of protection, double mask, do the visor, do everything within your power. And I will absolutely abstain from judgment. But if you go in there and you think because nobody's watching, you can take your mask off and you can let the rules down. Uh, you cannot. My little boy had one client coming into the salon. He only had two on the books. And the guy failed the temperature check. So even though it reads names on the door, I don't care who you are. You're not getting a client that's running off. And uh, any business that allows that, I mean, I've seen people doing the half mask. Uh, I went to my, pick up some glasses. The lady said, oh, let me take your temperature. She goes in 101. She said, that's all right, come on in. I'm like, are you just testing me at 101 and then let me into your business? It doesn't make any sense. And I'm just saying, it's so easy to drop the ball. And just because you've got the, you know, the home hair kind of point of view, nothing wrong with it, but overprotect yourself as if you're looking like you're going into surgery. And if you're a salon opening illegally, um, film every safety measure, every protocol that you've done to keep your clients safe. So if there is a backlash, uh, you'll have evidence to produce to Judge Judy to show them all the things you've done to be safe. And again, not just telling them, take a capture of it. Partitions, capture it. Temperatures, capture it. Get little videos to give your evidence pile. So that way you're protected either way. And as I say, industry will continue, but, um, you know, it will not look the same in any way, shape. In fact, I've said it quite boldly, Kelly, everything you knew before COVID, you can rip it up. If you were the best coach in the world before COVID and you've had no experience in this as a business owner, as we are, everything you know is irrelevant. I have a hard time even, you know, there's coaches I already surrounded myself with. I'm having a hard time listening to them right now. Because until this happened to you, you have no idea what you're talking about. And until you're seeing the new data coming in and what that influences, because that's what the data is for, uh, you know, I'm just saying right now is an incredible time. And yeah, we could be crying about it with tequila. And yet I'm seeing possibilities for hairdressers to see a different way of creating a lifestyle within a 
a business model of hair salon and hairdressing. And I think this is just a beautiful thing because we would never got that change before. And right now people are very interested in hearing these conversations because they want to see what they can do for their future. I'm telling you, it's it, it to be able to follow. I mean, you, you make it, you put it in such simple terms. You help us to be able to, to understand it. But honestly, like, I mean, at, at every sentence, every person out there listening, you guys see why, um, you know, for me, when I, right when I, caught wind of this man that's on the line right now, Robert, um, why I followed him for two and a half years, why, I, why I've followed him around the country, um, you know, moved, moved across the country, uh, you know, and at a, t- at a very uh, early age to have the opportunity to work with him, um, and just continue to, uh, you know, no matter what, uh, listen, and listen and listen and not only listen but apply. I want to go back to something really quick, Robert, because you said that you know uh, we used to hear Terry told us two hundred guests. Then you said you know with the new kind of millennial is one fifty, and then you went down to COVID of one hundred. Um, when you said that, I, I was I want our listeners to understand that you know in the event of what Robert's talking about, frequency of visit, I want to break it down for you very simply. Um, if you're a hairdresser, you you would simply have to do four guests in a day. Four guests in a day times five days a week is 20 guests. 20 guests booked on the five-week mark would be 100 guests and you would have a full clientele. In the event that you spent that you had a guest that spent $200 with you, that would only be um, $50 for a haircut and $150 for a highlight, you would be sitting on a $200,000 uh, a year uh, production, you know? Yeah. So, Robert, I, what you say is so genius, and I mean, obviously, it rolls right off your tongue. I think a lot of times the simplicity of of what you what you're able to talk about. Um, sometimes, do you find that people want to complicate things to make it more digestible for them? Which is completely backwards, but I find this a lot where. When you come with a simple uh, solution to something, um, when you when you said, <laughs> you know, for some things, you know, have coffee and other things have tequila, yeah. you keep it simple. But do you find that the world continually tries to complicate you? Well, once a seminar a girl asked a question similar to the ones you're asking, meaning like, you know, how can I protect my business right now? And I give her the answer and I can see her shaking her head. Like, so you didn't like that answer, huh? Uh, these are the ABCs of how you make a living in this industry, period. And right now, if things are getting more difficult, there used to be an option. Like Luke talks about, there's got, you know, got to do is, this is a got to do. If you want to still maintain something here. And, you know, one thing I want you to build into the equation you just read back to me, the, the full-time workforce of that five days a week is the part. I, I think you've got to, when people talk about flex schedule, I've got working mothers with two children, their, their idea of a work week is not going to be five days a week. So that's why this calculated measurement of knowing how many clients do I need, which is my balance of team, the paycheck I need to maintain and protect my family. And, you know, I'm just saying it's a part-time world of people being more effective and efficient. And I just say that if I'm working on that business model for, you know, someday a starting out, perhaps it is a five day a week because that is the best way to build in some occasions. And in some cases, maybe you need to be building seven days a week, be on call. But once you establish that and you get into the rhythm of your life and have family and different things, uh, I just know that the trend is going to be working less hours and being effective with it. And, you know, we talk about frequency of visit. 
uh, I think Starbucks have a frequency of visit of 250 times. My favorite story I tell about this one, Kelly, uh, the McRib is back. Like there's a shortage of McRib. <laughs> but every year when they bring it back, people line up, oh my God, the McRib's back. We should go to McDonald's. It's the spike frequency of visit. And if you understand that all you really need to be successful, it really comes down and no matter how many clients you want to do, our performance indicators are really about one guest at a time. So if you're seeing three, you just multiply it by three. But basically, if you're retaining every single client sits in your chair, you're retaining them like my body retains ice cream, you're going to be golden. If you can have conversations in every perfect consultation of when will I see you again, Kelly, then I'm going to have tomorrow's appointment on the books. If I can lead towards the discovery and understand that retail isn't about selling products for Paul Mitchell, JP, and Angus, for us as salon professionals, it's actually about retention. A client leaving my salon uh, without products on numerous visits is probably not loyal yet. And yet a first-time client leaving with just one or two purchases is probably going to be a client for life. That's the equation of service, the care factor. So if you look at really what's important per guest and really hone in on those two or three things you've got to do, uh, usually people are busy, 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 uh, seeing clients, seeing clients, 60% never return after three or four visits because you start doing a sucky consultation and you start slipping and slipping on your service standard. Now, more than ever, you get your standard high, get the right script to go with it, write the stuff down, create the procedure you're going to honor and stick to it every single guest and watch what happens. So it's a time for people to understand that you were absolutely guilty of taking clients for granted in the heyday. And right now you will not be able to prosper. If you're going to see only a fraction of your clients and you're going to lose 50% of that, you're in trouble. So right now you want to retain each one. And the way you'll do it is by upping that service game, taking it to a new level and understanding that, you know, the average ticket will grow because they're going to be there longer, taking advantage of more experiences. So, you know, the reality is it's a different game change. And I just feel that this is something people should really get into. And if you're, listening on the other end, you put it into your lifestyle. I'm a working mom. I got two kids. I'm going to work two days a week. What's the outcome I can expect or three days a week, or I'm a starter and I need to find, I'm just saying, we've got to build in this part-time point of view. Kind of like people working at home, you know, Paul Mitchell for many years didn't want everybody working at home. They wanted in the office, work, work, work. After this, they're like, okay, we've learned the hard way that people actually are very efficient at home. Um, and I just think it's helping people understand that. And I think that, you know, it's it's an age-old discussion, but that working smart actually isn't just a clever thing. It really is just a case of my son, who is a year into the business, this is exactly what I want him to follow. And if he does all the things I say, he'll be a happy hairdresser. He'll have a perfect clientele. And, you know, for some of you guys that are saying, well, I don't have that problem. I got too many clients. Time for you to get rid of a few. Uh, because if you've got a client who makes your little heart sink that isn't so happy and just brings in, you know, terribleness as they enter the building uh you don't need that either uh you know you, it's time for you to select your favorite people in the world that you want to hang out with you know some people were worried about thanksgiving get-togethers some people were relieved they didn't have to go <laughs> <laughs> some people have been quarantined with their partner and wondering what they were thinking they're drinking when they made the proposal uh it's a game changer you've just been locked down you know one of my uh morgan in oklahoma got married I said, what a time to find out if you really love him. You're going to be stuck in his house for the next three months. You know, you're going to be, you're going to find out whether his feet stink or whether he's a flosser. Uh, it's been <laughs> time. So 
value the clients you got, treasure them, and you know, definitely have the ideas of using technology like digital consultations, I think is a sleeper. Uh, you know, we can't take walk-ins anymore, so how do I recruit new clients? And, you know, we're on the hunt right now. How do we recruit new business? Uh, you know, everybody knows Instagram is a working tool, but if you don't have the coverage or the population, it's a hard one. But what can you do? So I just think this is a time where hairdressers need to get busier than ever before because a lot of hairdressers have a choice. It's like wearing a mask or not. They were like, I could be on social media or not. And most people decide not to because they don't see the value. I'm like, this is not a choice. It's the new yellow pages. If you're not using technology, getting your clients to yelp about you and how safe they felt, you're not taking advantage of a situation that is absolutely stacked against you if you don't. I just challenge you to win if you're not doing these things right now because um, it's the toughest market we're ever going to enter. And I just think this is a big, big, big deal here for the whole beauty industry. And, you know, it's going to change it bigger than the change that Instagram made. I'll tell you that right now. Instagram was considered the biggest disruption in the world. Well, what did Netflix, Netflix was a disruptor, yeah? Yep. But wasn't Blockbuster the worst place to do business? <laughs> Uber. The taxis, when I come to San Diego and I had to get a taxi, the guy didn't even want to lift my bag. I just traveled 3,000 miles. The guy wouldn't even lift my bag into the trunk. And I'm a big tipper, Kelly. I get to the Uber guy, he's at the car, he's giving me a bottle of water, he's taking care of me. And just don't be in denial of that. Understand that you will see a slip in your business. If you start to put this stuff to work, you'll end up happier, healthier, and probably wealthier by working this particular mechanism in whichever way you apply it. You know, And um, I believe that to be true. Uh, this advice is not just a theory from Robert Cromings. It's an absolute thing I'd tell my baby boy and how he can succeed and find a life balance in the beauty industry and not being quite like his father that, you know, just any trip I had to take. I mean, I've been on the road all my life. Um, so I'm just saying that's not necessary. And then I want to throw it back to you. I met you years ago. I called you the stalker at the hair show. I think I met you four or five shows. <laughs> but today, Kelly, you could have got that job without packing your shit up on your car. Meaning right now, I think it doesn't matter where you're from. You know, you don't have to relocate to make your dream happen. So I just think, again, this opening for artists, people that want to be something, is now bigger than ever. There's an opportunity, there's a platform, it's sitting there, it's free. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things that if you think about our, our history and how it had to be in the old days, for me to be inspired by Paul, I had to go watch him, for you to hang out with me, that was part of the experience. And, um, you know, nowadays, if you've got mentors and I have them, uh, people I watch on the internet, people I like their work and all that stuff, they get so tickled because I comment it or follow them. And I just think this is the, the kind of new world to do. I don't need to be at a hair show. I missed that part. Not doing the show, but just talking to my people and talking to fellow artists, people that work a stage, people that work a big room and complimenting them on what they did. Like Vidal would compliment me when he seen me on stage. And the amount of, you know, how much that matters. Uh, you know, it makes a big, big difference. And, you know, for me, the other day when I was on a thing with Gordon Miller and calling out a kid who I do not know, and I was talking about mentors from afar. So, you know, not every mentor do you need to know them and have their phone number. You know, you can be studying them and learning from them. And with the internet, you can have multiples. So I just seen this kid's been, you know, kicking up on the internet. So I threw his name out and then figure out he's actually my biggest fan. He said, he's like, no way you mentioned my name. And it's the biggest day in my life. I'm 10 foot tall. I had no idea he was on. 
Um, and then sometimes when I talk to these kids, I have no idea they even know who I am. You know, I'm like another generation. But, uh, you know, oftentimes it's just that beautiful circle of life. And, you know, we got to see the potential in each other. I think I was encouraged as a kid in the industry uh, because I spoke the truth. I had passion in my heart and I only wanted to pay back the beauty industry for what it had done for me. And, you know, I'm still paying that debt back because every dream I've had as a hairdresser has come true. And you couldn't have any professional aspirations of things you wish you got to do because you went to hair school. I can't think of anybody who's had a more rich and generous life than I've had. Uh, but at the same token, you know, I think that's something you've, you've got to kind of define in your mind. But to me, when people say, how come you're always so positive, so nice? I'm like, well, I still have a debt to pay. I am still surprised I made it anywhere. And again, you know, it's not about dollar bills. It's just about the experience of life I've been fortunate to have. You know, my son's just like the inquisitor while he's talking to me these days, like, so what was it like here, Dad? And what was it like here? I said, I got to write a book one day. Uh, you know, that adventure was something. But, you know, the, the new beginning is something that's exciting. And um, I, I do believe there is a future. And, uh, you know, I think you and I both know it. People, it's kind of like religion. They got to believe in something. Uh, Matrix wasn't built on shampoo. It's built on a man called Arnie Miller. Uh, Paul Mitchell was a man. Vidal Sassoon was not a blow dryer. He was a man. And when it really comes down to your belief systems, it's who do you believe in? And I think the industry needs that. And we all need heroes. And, you know, even for me, looking through the Internet, I see heroes every day that I could believe in. And I make sure to pass it on and tell them. Uh, this is just what we all need. We need to kind of be influenced. You know, it's truly what influences are, you know, and to give people that passion to continue forward. You know, there's times when I'm, I feel like I'm more of a marriage guidance counselor than I am a salon coach because people be crying and be as hurt in a relationship with their business as they can be with a spouse. And the fact is that you can make people be, see them in such a place of desperation. And in some ways from a distance, you think they're living their dream and actually it's a nightmare. So it's not the technology that disrupts. It's the lack of customer centricity. And what we got to understand that the customer is the most important. We are servant to the people, servant to their heart. If they're the most important, let's realign our businesses and ourselves of what's most important to them. We've done this for years through Wash House. Client loves the shampoo. Hairdresser doesn't love the shampoo. We make a big deal about the shampoo. My reputation goes up. Referrals go up. Repeat business goes up. Take home goes up. Treatment goes up. All the things that happen, happen from the sink. The sharpest tool in your shed is not your scissors or your razor. It's your sink. Uh, it's a terrible thing to be into the industry alone. You want to be part of something. I think it's really critical. And right now, there's just a, a complete shift of leadership. And it's very hard to see. But as I say, from my distant place of learning, I see leaders every single day that are popping up. Like I mentioned, Sophia Hilton. I, I just love her because she's speaking her mind. I, I love uh, Gina Bianca. She tells everybody that the only reason she's there is because she listened to my tapes in school. And, uh, you know, and Gina and I, she's got the party. It's not as I wish I could talk like her on the Internet. Uh, but she means every word of it. And I would say she's authentic and she's fighting for it. You know, uh, Larissa doll is a beautiful, you know, young person on the internet, maybe 30 years old, has a huge voice. Um, you know, there's people out there every single day doing it. And from a craft point of view, there's more talent on these screens every day. 
I got to confess it, Kelly. I've been pretending to be a hairdresser for 35 years. Uh, when I watch one shot awards or I see some of the stuff that people post, I'm like, wow, you know, I'm probably one of the greatest showmen in the world. And I can do some trickery, but you know, there's some beautiful hairdressers out here and that visibility and transparency will attract more true artists. So our industry is going to get better and better um, because people that aren't skilled, that aren't any good at it, aren't going to continue with it because there's so many visible examples of how it can be done perfectly. Um, in 1980, that was not the way you got information. Uh, you used to buy magazines and all this stuff. Right now, at your fingertips, you have a computer that can research the whole world and find out anything you want to know to do with hairdressing. And again, I follow people in Russia, Australia, uh, you know, everywhere. It's just right here. So for my little son and other young kids like him, it's, there's never been an opportunity like today. And I guess the challenge for them, Kelly, will they take it? Robert, what do you fear? Well, I do have a young, hot wife, so that's to be careful. <laughs> as I get older and older. But I'm going to start working out later in my life so that I can protect myself. Um, I don't think I have any fears. I think I've been... I've, I've faced them all, you know, like having your first walk out, you know, I've, like we talked about last time we were together. Yeah. We've opened a shitload of salons. We've also closed a shitload. Um, um, so it, these things, when I think what's the worst thing I have, I know I don't have a salon in Vegas. I closed the salon in Vegas. I've never been happier, less of a headache. Then they go through with the pandemic. I'm like, I got off very lucky. Uh, you know, cause that would have been a terrible thing to have a store out there and they're not going to recover quickly. I can't yep. see how it, Yep. So, in a way, it was a blessing, and I just think that's what you got to understand. Um, me owning salons doesn't define me. Uh, me being a platform artist doesn't define me. Me being an educator with a pair of scissors, it's just, you know, these kind of things are, are not the most important thing in the world. Uh, I think at the end of the day, me and Mary cuddling on the sofa is probably the most important thing. Uh, constantly, you know, just, and all we do all day is steal time for each other. Um, you know, I'm the biggest thief. I'm the pirate of time. And, you know, we spread ourselves occasionally. And you know, consider we used to see thousands of people. Uh, now it's, you know, we got a couple of friends over right now, her brother. Uh, but I'll be very happy when they, they leave because it'll just be me and her again. And we got a little electric blanket. We cuddle it up. We, we just, it, it, it's probably the most important thing is who you spend it with. And I think this is a, a big part of it. I, I don't have fears. I work for a great company like Paul Mitchell, even though I'm not doing shows, they're going to keep me around. <laughs> um, you know, but let me just say this. If I didn't have that job, I'd probably already be out of business. Uh, but I could have been out of business years ago if I hadn't had that other job source of income. So to me, having a salon ownership was a bit of a hobby. Uh, I'm not treating it that way anymore. I really want to make sure that it's a business, meaning it's profitable or I won't continue. And the loss of something like that would not, again break my heart so I don't really have those types of fears I mean the obvious ones is family people you know your kids my son drives like a maniac I think Steph just encouraged him to buy a BMW yeah I fear that my daughter I said what do you think of my driving honey she said dad you drive like an old person I said well first of all I am I said can we do something here can we meet in the middle can we kind of take a little bit of dad's skill set here and drive it slower graciously and apply it to your technique um, you know, so you worry about that type of stuff, but, uh, 
you can't help it, but you, you shouldn't let it dwell on you because mostly, you know, everything in the world is safe. But, uh, you know, I don't have fears um, the way I perhaps did when I was a younger kid. But I think a lot of that is just some of the stuff I do on stage takes away. You know, I, I take risks like nobody does on stage. 12,000 people, I'll do nine haircuts in 30 minutes. Who made me do that? Me. I could have done one haircut in 30 minutes like everybody else, but I went for nine. I figured one of the nine you're going to like. So I just play a different game. Uh, I've set myself into scenarios where I know that I have just taken the biggest risk, but when it pays off, it's so worth it. So, you know, and then you have risks that you do that don't pay off. And you're like, oh, my God. But, you know, I, again, it wasn't the worst thing when it didn't go right. and People loved me because it didn't work and I still went for it. I, I can live with that. You know, I just want to be known as the guy that's got the courage to go for it. Uh, I think Gerard and Randy from Hairbrain said after they seen me do the fan trick in Vegas, they said I had the biggest cojones in the industry. And I said, yeah, I did. Uh, I just think it's a risk. I mean, you want to watch your heroes. You want to see them take risk a bit. Uh, but to me, you know, I'm not at a point where I'm worried about anything. Uh, the salon I love, love, love. I put my whole wallet in it, my heart and soul. Uh, I hope I can continue it and build it. And if I can't, as I say, it's not the end of the world. Uh, again, we talked about Netflix and um, Blockbuster. Netflix tried to sell to Blockbuster before it all went apeshit for like $5 million, and Blockbuster said no. Um, meaning, you know, what happens on the next chapter? It, because, you know, just like Steve Jobs losing his job, it was, it, certain events have to happen for you to rediscover a new way. And my most creative time was probably 25, 30 years ago when I invented some of these systems like Wash House color bar take home and i would say right now my brain is just you know a stewing on the creative ways that we can get into the industry again being stuck in your own system for 25 years also could be you know fatiguing so we got to change it like the division point of the year we got to change it anyway it's changing on us so we might as well roll with it and again try to find that adaptive spirit of what you know what can we do to be efficient but you know fear i don't know it just sort of drives me a little bit it's just kind of like I, I gotta go for the things that you should be scared of that a normal person wouldn't do <laughs> whether that's a conversation and taking a risky one a risky haircut cutting hair with a fork or a razor I, I gotta take that risk for it to feel like there's a, a win for me at the end of it and when things are so perfectly scripted and planned that's the least fun I have as Robert Cummings I like things going wrong like um, you know we talk about the fan trick your audience can watch it online somewhere while I'm cutting with double clippers which incidentally Kelly had never done before one of the blades one, one of the blades fell off but I just kept going double fisted and people were going crazy and then I threw the clipper into the audience and they said why did you throw the clipper I said I had no blade on it so I figured I didn't need it anymore and you know just stuff I'd be at a show where they don't have uh, the type of electricity we need and we have a converter and I'm cutting the girl's bangs, but the converter's so far away, I get to the half point, I can't go any further. And there's Mary there trying to drag a 130-pound converter a few more inches so I can finish off the fringe. Uh, stuff going wrong turns me on. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. So that risk, and I just think like anything, if you're thinking of a new business or anything at all, yeah, be scared of it and stuff, but not scared enough not to take the risk. Because every risk I've ever taken has paid off uh it's a calculated risk in many ways but i'm just saying to me audience they're going to love you more because you took the risk whether you succeed or not they're going to know you're real 
Um, you know, if you're just up there trimming hair on top of a haircut you've already done, that's not a risk. Um, and you, you could be showing me the greatest haircut in the world. I like to do it live. I don't pre-do hair. I go for it. I'm going to try six girls. And, you know, as I say, some days I get very lucky. I hit all six. Some days I get two or three. But when I compare it to most people I watch uh, that spend 45 minutes on a single technique or a haircut result, um, I just find that with the technology that kids are learning from and the pace of it, um, it's too slow. We got to find a way to accelerate and make things happen quicker. And for me, the way of doing that is if I've got six, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to do, Kelly. I'm just going to let my spider instinct take over. So I'm not thinking about it pathologically. I'm looking at the cutie little face and go, where's the beauty in this face? And I'm just going to go to it just like I know where to pull it away from. And I think that's a big part of it. And I love the risks I take. And as I say, when they pay off, first after a show, I'm numb to it. You know, 12,000 people, I come off stage and I do a little barrage of picture taking. And I'll go back to either my bar or my office and have a little drink and reflect. And it plays back in my head. And I'll think, how did I know how to do that? How did I know how to say that? Or how did I know to send the girl into the audience? It's just like, it's the most beautiful thing. And not everything has to be so premeditated. There's no life in it. Um, No wiggle room for that unexpected thing. And I just think whether it's humor, whether it's something that happens, something that goes wrong. uh, We've had lights out, mic out. We've been cleared by the fire marshal many times. I mean, there's nothing. And we got cleared once in Canada, the fire trucks came and emptied the whole theater and I had to show after the fire trucks left I had to go back to work on the stage with the same audience I said well better it happen to me than somebody else because I know how to pick it up from here um, it's just one of those things through my experience and that's really what I've been given as a journey of 30 to 40 years of experience of watching air shows doing air shows and um, you know for me that's invaluable it's not a book you can read uh, because as much time as I spent on a platform, if I wasn't on a platform, I was watching other people do it. And in some cases, that could be Bruno Patini, it could be Binal Sassoon. Um, and, you know, I won't list out all the people you've never heard of, but I'm just saying what an education I've had. And I got to play that forward some way, light, and sh- you know, form. And, you know, I would say I got young kids working my salon right now that I don't think they really know who they work for or what I do. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a group come because we brought all the salon staff there. And they see me on stage and they're like, oh my God, where does he come from here? I turn into something else up there. It's like, I'm not quite Wonder Woman, but I'm close. Uh, you know, so it, it's just a passion I have. And, you know, it's, it's something that I got to believe in. And the beauty industry will, will continue. Paul Mitchell's continuing. We're doing pretty good if you look at other companies in the industry. Um, we are making changes every day. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to have an issue in this time. And I just don't think we're going to be one of them. So, you know, JP and Angus are working ahead. You know, think about their size of company. I'm sure there was a day during COVID shutdown, they brought in $250 in a day, which is one of the smallest <laughs> numbers we can imagine what they're not must be from warehouses to employees and all that stuff. So uh, I'm just saying everything's been affected. Airlines have lost two thirds of their traffic airlines. So they're going to have to adapt. Um, you know, they've lost 200 billion already. We're not, we're only a year into it and they don't see the recovery full time to 2004 or five. So I want people to think about that when they're renegotiating with a landlord, that this is won't just be, we're open and everything's back to normal because I got to recover a lot of things, not just being open. 
Uh, we got to bring the habits back and bring the people back. It's going to take time to build confidence. So, you know, this is what we're looking forward to. And I would say my wife shed a tear when they closed us down in the beginning of December. And I think yesterday, having got to experience Christmas and be ready for it and not be jumbling, I think in some ways she loved it. It's probably her first Christmas off ever. And for a lot of people in California, that was the experience they got. So be grateful for that. Uh, you may not get another, but what a thing we've had. So I'm just saying take advantage. She's, she's going to a spin class in a few minutes. She's been working out. She's taking care of her body. She's looking like she's, you know, 22. Um, you know, I gave her a little haircut. It's gorgeous. I'll send you pictures. Uh, but, you know, I just think find that balance. And I just think my, my wife's a great example of it. She's found a balance to be a great teacher, be very effective in the salon and find ways to, you know, take care of herself and her well-being. And I just think that's what we're going to see in the next kind of up, up, up part. And I think you see that with Brooklyn. Yes. Uh, we're both married to very uh, determined women that have got skills beyond ours in so many ways. Um, you know, so it's really quite interesting to be around that type of talent. You know, uh, you know, it used to be like, who's that with Robert Cromie? He's like, now they're like, who's the old guy with Mary Cromie? He's just like, hey, I, I can, I can live with that. I can live with that. But she's amazing. We were doing a little tape for something. Let's see, could it have been Clean Beauty? We're doing real well with that. And Mary's like, I need a video. I said, I'll shoot it for you, honey. And we were going in to shoot the take. And she's, she's not, she's not sparkling. She's not got love coming out of her heart. We're setting up the lights. I'm setting it up. And I'm kind of keeping out of her way because I know she's not feeling it. And then I put her in the camera. I set up the frame. And I go, okay, three, two, one, and go. And suddenly she just, switches this love and light comes out of her eyes and her heart I'm like oh my god how can you do that me if you take me on the guy I'm a pissy I gotta be pissy but she just turned it she just flipped her switch and suddenly she was the most radiant communicator in the world with a perfect message and you know she killed it but I thought how did she do that she's just an amazing inspiring educator and I don't think anybody who watches her you know they're not thinking it was a Oh, we got to watch Robert Cromie's his wife. I think they're wondering how much they have to listen to Robert to get a bit of Mary. <laughs> and uh, I find that quite delightful that, you know, she's inspiring me every day and how hard she's working and how she's trying to make a bigger imprint on the internet, and, you know, struggling, you know, trying to learn things like TikTok or going through some of the technical stuff. Uh, my wife did not want to be a salon owner. She just made the mistake of marrying one. So I'm just saying it's an interesting little journey we're on together. And, um, you know, as I say, she's dealing with stuff from payroll, all the things that she thought she'd never do. And, uh, you know, it's been a great lesson to watch her, but she's the strongest woman I've ever met. And I think she's going to adapt. And I think, you know, especially moving forward to what she's capable of doing as an educator, I don't think there's a better educator on the planet than my beautiful wife, Mary. She just, you know, I tell jokes and mess around. I got a lot of funny shit to say. She's just got pure content. Um, and you know, the fact that she's still learning at you know, her experience level and still being subjected to being a learner. Uh, I don't think there's anything that can stop her. And I'd say the same for Brooklyn. You know, if you're wondering what you should be doing on the internet, just watch it for a little while. You'll figure out how to come in between it. Uh, not every idea I've had for a hair show was my own original idea. I seen somebody give it a go or somebody tried it this way or somebody made me think about it. Uh, you know, as I say, you cannot wonder what you should be posting all you got to look at the modern day applause is a like button you see something with a hundred thousand views i'd say that's a good indicator if you want to follow a a blueprint 
of what you should be doing on the internet. There's so many examples of what's working out there. So, you know, it's just an easy time to be creating content. And I think people should be doing it. And the old, you know, the old way was, oh, I don't have time to do that, Kelly. I don't have time to work out. Can't go to the ocean, write my journal every day. I don't have time. Can't squeeze in new clients. Don't have time. Can't sell retail. Don't have time. Right now, the whole industry has time. So that's what we got to understand. The most important thing, as we talked about today, is not the dollar. It's time. How much time are you putting into things and what's the reward at the end of it? And that's the part that we got to value more than any other thing of, of commodities because that can never be given back. You know, money can be, but time cannot. So, uh, you know, this is the, the thing that's precious. And I think we're all realizing that, you know, you're feeling it with your kids as you're hanging out with them. Um, you know, it, it's like we have absolutely made things in our industry, made choices in our careers that take us away from the things we say we love the most. That is a fact. So this is a place where we get to maybe set it straight, put it back into place, set it to the way you want it and not just the way you think it happened to you. And I hope a lot of hairdressers make that distinction, whatever that means to them. Well, it's amazing that you say it because, you know, when you're talking about Mary um, and she ma- she didn't want to be a salon owner, she just happened to marry one. Um, yep. Brooklyn and I just had that discussion the other night and it was almost verbatim <laughs> that, that type of uh, scenario where, you know, her as an educator, Brooklyn as an educator and Mary in a, as an educator, like we both know we go to a show, they don't show up. We don't want to show up. We kn- oh, I'm not going. No, hell no. I mean, maybe we do some commentary, but I mean, there ain't nothing else going on but the rent up in there. Um, A thing that I wanted to say, too, to all of our listeners is, as you hear Robert, and he talks about the simplicity, it's amazing because, you know, I've I've been, you know, we've been around each other. Uh, well, I've been around you since 1995. I've been, you know, 1994, actually. Um, you you became aware of me, <laughs> I think, in 1996 or somewhere around there. But the principles that you're talking about today, it's amazing because you you have, those principles are are, are, are the same, You but you're continuing to adapt modern do, uh, day tools and technology. And no matter when I've ever experienced you or whether it been up close uh, from a distance um, or just use, utilizing the principles, every one of these works, guys, every one of them, every person that's out there, um, you know, I, I came in contact with Robert at, at 19 years old and because I put in line in Memphis, Tennessee, um, the, the, the connection point with the guest, not thinking about the money, the, the money or uh, not thinking about, you know, that I had to do all these things, but keeping it simple and, and locking into the guest, um, able to build a phenomenal business there in Memphis. And then, you know, getting a chance to work with Robert and building my own company. My own company is just built on the principles of what I listen to. And then I put into play of what you guys are getting to hear right now. So I would encourage you every single one of you, I want to go to a specific Robert, cause this just happened to both yeah. of us. Um, you had said, um, you've always told me that, you know, that the, that the, that the, we need to be conscious of the numbers, but the numbers don't matter if you're not connected to the people. And you've always been, you know, this proponent that you want to stay, you know, connected with that guest. And so I was driving the other day and you know, this story, I was, I was driving on my way to Utah and, uh, an order came through on my, on my phone, which I'm, I'm so thankful for anyway, that we have technology that, that can happen. I'm driving, I get a little notification on my phone. I'm, I get stuck in traffic. So those of you who are going to judge me and think that I'm yeah. on my phone in the car, I'm not. Um, but well, sometimes I am, but I'm just not going to talk about that time. 
but I'm stuck on the freeway and there's no movement at all. I get the, uh, the notification. It's my, uh, it's my, uh, online store and there's a, uh, uh, someone makes a large order. So I thought about what you, what exactly what you were talking about, slow down as opposed to trying to capture a hundred million guests that were going to buy yep. something from me. Let's thank the one person that did. And so I just click the button to call and I call this guy and literally like it made my whole entire time. It made my, my Christmas season, not because I made a sale, but because I locked into the thing that was the most important. You had a conversation with Cecil too. Um, can you talk to that experience too? Because it, it's, it's literally right in line with what you're talking about. Let's slow down. Let's not like go into 2021. We're going to savagely beat this year and we're going to conquer everything. Yeah. Slow down yeah. and focus on the one person that really can make the difference. Well, first of all, what a delight he was. He could write a book on me. This could be my whole career. And what I want to make a deal about here, he was traditionally an beta guy. The one thing I can celebrate as a contributor to the industry, whether you bought a stick of Paul Mitchell or not, I've influenced the beauty industry. Uh, you know, I created a concept called the color bar. Every furniture company buys me drinks at shows because they sell color bars. I don't. Uh, visionaries don't have to keep a piece of all the action. You just kind of move it forward and you kind of do the right things. So, you know, he's a fellow salon owner. He's definitely seen me in my upbringing and, you know, he's, he sounds very young. I think he's 46. So he'd seen me and Gene Brown on stage. So he goes back in time to the very beginning of my career where I had no idea what, what, you know, how, how it would go. You know, I, I, you know, I had a job in a moment, but I didn't know how long it would last. And based on others around me, it did dissipate pretty quickly. So, you know, in our skill culture, we call it create magic. Obviously that phone call created magic. He's obviously just become a customer, become a focus salon. He's built my salon. I said, let me get involved. I love that. You know, what can I do? You know, throw me, throw me some pictures. Uh, but, it, you know, we got a touch point. I think if there's one thing I miss of what I used to do, it's really the conversations I would have with random people on an elevator. And, you know, there's nothing more, more than any dollar you think you've ever had in your bank account when somebody says you changed my life or you helped me provide for my family or you saved my business or whatever these things are. These matter, I don't know. I wish I was money driven. I wish that was the most important thing for me. Um, but unfortunately, I just have a different sort of point of view. And I just think these are the most rewarding things we get and making magic happen with people. Um, you know, and I get this with many artists on the internet, you know, kids that I meet and I like their big sensations. And they said, the first show I ever seen was watching you, you know, so you're like, oh my God, you, there's a circle of it all. And I just find that to be very rewarding, especially where I'm at in the industry. And, you know, for me, I just think that, you know, it's like baseball. It doesn't change a lot, Kelly. It hasn't changed. I'm not a baseball guy. But the, the rules are pretty much the same. And as long as hairdressing remains a contact sport, the rules aren't going to change so dramatically that it doesn't behoove you to get into these things we talked about today because these are the things that will support and keep you safe. There was a movie years ago called Million Dollar Baby, Clint Eastwood's message to her all the time was protect yourself on all times. That's what hairdressers need to understand. You pick the profession that you can protect yourself at all times, but you got to remember that these aren't choices that when you say, you know, uh, you know, how do I, you know, big, build a bigger average ticket or you get people, they 
you know, the situations or systems to help them build it. And they don't love the answer because they're like, oh, that means work. That means I got to do something. Uh, you know, if you're only going to perform at a very minimal level, you're never going to get compensation. It's going to be a hobby you have. You're a hobby hairdresser. But if you really got to make a living for your kids or your family or whatever, in some cases, husbands have lost their jobs. So now the hairdresser is the breadwinner. So now it matters more and more. We had a situation a salon I coach. Girls performed pretty good her whole career, maybe 15 of them. Her husband lost her job. She went into super high protocol and suddenly she's performing twice the level she was. And she, I mean, what did she do? What happened? Her, her situation created a sort of desperateness that made her take action. And for everybody listening to this, I don't care where you live or where you're from, you should be understanding the desperate situation the industry's in and you've got you've to be superhuman to get through it. So you've got to apply these things that normally would be a choice. You know, oh, I don't want to be on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, not a choice in the modern day world. You've got to be, it's, you know, getting a client to take a selfie. There's so many reasons I can go on about it. Um, and I am older and if I can do it, you can do it. And somebody said to me, who runs your Instagram page? I run it. It's so fun. It's better than words with friends. Better than, you know, I didn't need a PlayStation 3 for Christmas or 5. I'm <laughs> quite happy with my cell phone. Looking at the internet. Look at what's going on in my industry. Uh, part I loved about shows was walking around, seeing other people perform and doing. I get to do that every single day. I don't think there's a day I don't look at what's going on in the beauty industry. And I, I just think it's the most fascinating time and a lot of people can learn from. But, you know, it's just, it's we're in the people business. I think, I you know, when I think about the, the risk people take and the fact that we are, you know, you know, the debate of, you know, I seen the kid with big Instagram where he's got his ma- his mask half on and thinks he's being funny and clever. I mean, no, you're a mask hole. This is not a joking matter. You've got to really protect everybody in your environment. And every example you set, you've got to be clear with it. And, you know, I think it's just one of those things that the example that people hit right now is probably the best learning. And, you know, that's the people I gravitate to that are setting an example and uh, not just the theory of what they think, just really living it by example, which you and I have done our whole careers. And, you know, to me, we, we need content. And believe it or not, a disaster in our organization creates content, right? So whatever it is, it's still conversation and it's still relative because we're in the business today. And I just think it's, uh, you know, a very discovering time and I plan to continue it. And um, as I say, what tomorrow, we don't control that. What we do control is what we're doing today, and I think that's the big part of it. And, you know, I've just been blessed with a career. Uh, when my son said he was going to be a hairdresser, I'm like, no way, I never even thought of that. You know, he was talking about film school and different things. Uh, but I think back to when I first had him as a little baby, all I wanted, if he was a surfer, he never worked a day in his life, I'd be quite happy with that because that would be the lifestyle I would have loved. I'm sure you would have loved it when you lived up the, up the coast. You know, this is where kids dream of. I had to work. I had to. Once I got going, I, I, I was on a, a hamster wheel. I couldn't get off. My calendar's been booked for 25 years solid. I had no doubt on this. And I just think that the fact he's chose it and the fact that I want to see him do well with it and, you know, create a, a beautiful thing with it. And, you know, his famous line is, how do I follow in my father's footsteps? He said, I've got my own shoes to fill. Every single person in the beauty industry has their own shoes to fill. It's not what Kelly does, I do, what Angus does. It's just what what can you do and what direction can you take? And there's no limitation. Uh, I see famous Instagram hairdressers that started out in Oklahoma City. 
I see people, no matter where they live, making huge names for themselves. Um, <laughs> this is a golden point of the industry that's never been like this, thanks in one way, technology. But as I say, the standard is elevating every single day from what I see as a guy who's been you know, at the helm for 40 years. This industry is getting better and better in many ways, and I think there will be a shakeout, an evolution, um, in some degrees, you know, survival of the fittest in ways. And if that bounces into a better client experience for every hairdresser, think about the chain salons that built their whole mass on volume. So, you know, when you think about it today, Kelly, if it's built on volume and we've lost volume, volume and performance is what it's built on. But you take away the V word, then you're really done to just performance. That's the only option a hairdresser has right now. Perform the shit out of the client you got. And if you can do that every time consistently, create new ways to add to that experience. I don't care whether you're charging 12 bucks a haircut. It doesn't matter where you live. This stuff will work for you. And I hope you give it a try. Now's the time to give it a sit. And if all you got to do is blame Kelly and I, you heard us on a podcast. And they told me I ought to do these things to be happier and healthier. I'm going to do it. And, you know, I just think this is the world we live in. And I want my hairdressers to succeed. I want every kid to go to beauty school to get their dream may not be the dreams we had, but it's a different industry right now. And it's just as possible for them today. Um, and, you know, these kids are learning on Zoom every day. They're getting into a whole new way of learning that didn't involve being on the site every single day. And I think that's a beautiful thing, a conditioning of the mind. And, you know, as I say, is that uh, just like platform artistry, there's a technology. I want to be a, a Zoom artist. And, you know, Zoom, Zoom teach how to do this stuff. Like they'll tell you that 45 minutes is the magic point, even though Zoom will give you a two-hour window. Uh, you know, the reality is you don't always need more. And uh, there's so many ways to learn and be a researcher. Be a researcher and learn stuff and use that little computer for more than just tic-tac-toe and, you know, candy crush. Use it for what it is. It's a way of researching any idea you've got, anything imaginable. It's somewhere on the Internet somehow. And I just love that part of, you know, finding stuff and, you know, digging around for the things I'm into and whether I'm trying to put together a presentation or motivation or things on gratitude. Um, it's all out there for you to help put together a beautiful point of view. And I think we need that. We need to round off with each other. There is no distance between us. Reality is where no matter where you live, you can be part of this community conversation. So, you know, big pressure for people like Hairbrain and BTC. They have a huge responsibility, as does Paul Mitchell and other manufacturers. But, you know, I'm very fortunate to work for independent owners, so they really believe and see a future. Uh, we've been trying to go digital for years, and now we're able to because the industry shifted. And we would do thousands upon thousands of insulin classes, and that will never return. And when this vaccine comes out, I don't see that going back to normal, business as usual. I don't see me closing my salon down for a class anymore. Uh, I've already been closed enough by the government. Why would I close for a class when people can learn in the comfort of their own living room with their babies in hand or whatever it is they got to do? You know, this is just a whole new way of doing what we've always done. And I think I'm more effective, more efficient uh, from a financial point of view. You know, if, if I send you and I have sent you, did I ever send you to North Dakota, you in Brooklyn? Yes. You did two days of shows, but it took you two days to get there, day there, day back. So four days of your time to touch a certain amount of people, maybe 600. And now with a perfect Zoom call, you can do that and actually could hit 6,000. So we have to question that the old way. Why do we do it anyway? 
uh, because it's kind of like that story you butchered of mine about the the oven and Zig Ziglar. You remember <laughs> that? You butchered it. I'm just telling you. I heard it. You butchered it. But anyway, why does Grandma always cut it into two? Because her oven was too small. That was her point. But anyway, I'm just saying we keep going on with the same things. I think right now we got to really pay attention to details. Look at the data, and I'm not talking about the the COVID data, look at the data of the industry, the data of your business and respond to that. And whatever the numbers tell you, they're there just to influence that behavior. Uh, it doesn't mean you suck, but I'm just saying if you really get into falling in love with where these numbers can help you and, you know, close with this, Kelly, every hairdresser defies me on getting to know numbers and then insists on cutting hair at 45 degree angles and then mixes color with 10 volume and level seven, you know, and like you use numbers every single day and yet you deny me the fact that you're going to use numbers to indicate the plotting of your career. And I think that's the thing people need to fall in love with. You don't need to be like a, a bookkeeper or an accountant, but you've got to understand that these numbers fall into what you're after. And if you use them as the science, just like the science of the epidemic, and you let that guide you, you're going to see better what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. And I promise you, if you apply the things we've talked about today, you'll see a difference in your world and your life, whether you're a salon owner or a freelance hairdresser. To me, as long as you've got a license, I'm, your, I'm, your, I'm, in, I'm in your club. You know, you're my brothers and sisters. And I, I don't care what type of salon you work in, whether you work at home, whether you've got something your husband built. Yeah, I don't care what that is. I just love hairdressers. Uh, JP used to make Patron tequila. I don't think he ever cared where you drank it. He just loved you drank it. Uh, I love the industry and, um, you know, anytime people get around me, they see that in my heart. I do so many of these podcasts and they go, oh my God, every time we talk to you, you're so positive. I'm like, well, is there any value in getting somebody in here talking shit? I mean, really? Uh, I don't see where that takes us any closer. Uh, I just think let's try to find our heroes now that we need and find the people that help us see that the challenge in front of us is not that complicated. And if anything I've got, it's not genius, Kelly. It's just a little bit of experience and not just my own experience of thousands of salon owners that I've been able to connect with throughout my career, thousands of hairdressers I've been able to rub shoulders with, and what you see or hear in front of you today is a product of that. I used to say this on stage, the greatest product Paul Mitchell ever made was actually me, not shampoo one or two, uh, because I am absolutely a product of what they've allowed me to be in the beauty industry. And again, uh, JP is a wonderful visionary guy, um, you know, I couldn't, I can't say enough great things about him or his partner, JP, and the direction the company's taken. And I think we are going to move our company in a whole new level because people probably want to have a relationship with the people they do business with more now than ever before. And I just believe we can hit that, whether it's conversations about business, art, I don't care what it is, but at the end of the day, JP and Angus are still guys worthy of believing in, and I think that's what the industry needs as a belief system that they're there forever. And that's really what we see with their leadership. And, you know, that will continue. And, you know, the company is changing. I hardly recognize it in places, but in the places I don't recognize it, all I see is growth. Um, you know, I used to sit at that helm and be one of the major mouthpieces today, probably not so much unless there's a situation, but yet I'm in awe of what they're doing. And um, knowing that we are building a legacy company that will go on long after my time on this planet, and in many ways, after JP, although I think he's good for 250 years, as that's who he is. But, you know, we are building a legacy company that wants to be in the beauty industry for the next 300 years. So that's what we're doing every single day. And we're still, through all these hard times of what salons are going through, 
Paul Mitchell's still doing pretty good considering. And uh, I think that's a reflection on just how much we actually care about the customers. I think that's kind of represented by the 110 skills we have. You know, we are in the beauty industry no matter what. And we are still committed to making that happen and grow. And, you know, these are all things that are in our future. So, you know, you know, it's not perfect. But, you know, just like when I got married, maybe was it two years ago? And I said that, Mary said, I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect for her. You know, it's just find the things that are perfect for now. Uh, we can't get a perfect situation. People aren't just throwing money in our mailbox. But find the thing that is perfect for now. And, you know, you know, kind of dwell on that and make a big difference and listen to every podcast you can and, you know, get other people's points of view and opinions and probe them and look at them and inspect them because, you know, that's how you get to be knowledgeable is by looking at other people's points of view. And, you know, I, I've been wrong so many times. I remember you've heard this story. A lady told me she had a $1,600 day and I was a $25 haircutter and I told my partner she was a liar. And then one day, a year later, I had a $1,600 day on a $35 haircut. And I thought, oh, my God, I got to call that lady. She was doing it. Um, you know, so sometimes you're so sure when you see something, you know, that you're so quick to make a judgment. And as you get into it and learn it a little further, you could be so surprised. So be an investigative reporter. Be an inquisitor. Research. Get into stuff. You know, don't just assume you know because what you know, um, you know, put it out there and look at other like-minded people and salons around the world. Everybody on Instagram is talking about it. So it's not like everything's a hidden secret. So there's so many ways to get your info, but research, research, research. You know, some kids say, I'm going to open a salon. I said, you sure? What's your advice? I said, research. you got to go learn some stuff, you know? So again, the old days you had to come see me at a show. We had to be with each other. The new ways you do not have to be that close. And there's so many ways to get what you're after. And there's nothing in your way. And I think that's what I want to end with, Kelly. There's nothing in your way right now. Not an epidemic. If there's anything in your way, it's the same shit that was in your way before this happened. Get things out of your way so you can get closer to what you're after. And as I say, I can't wait to celebrate. Uh, we talked yesterday on an Instagram piece we did about the roaring 20s. I think you're aware of this. Uh, the world, uh, America, had just come out of an epidemic. And that's where the flapper girls came from, short little bobs. It was the first revolution against long hair. Uh, you know, the reality was there was a celebration. People wanted to get out and about. I can't wait to get back to that. And I just think that's going to be a beautiful time. But meantime, this is what we do have. And we still got to survive and we still got to get ready. And we'll have no money to party if we don't adjust ourselves appropriately. Don't be taking the client for granted. Don't be taking your job for granted. Um, you know, these are things that should be appreciated and celebrated every single day. And, you know, I just, you know, I love my team and I, I definitely want to see them succeed. And unfortunately, when I say that, I could talk about my team from kids that don't work for me anymore. I still want them to succeed, believe it or not. I still, you know, you, know, you quit me on the worst terms ever. I still don't want you to fail. I want you to use what you learned and use what you understand. And no matter what, you'll be protected. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, people move on. It's part of the industry. We didn't create that. People move on. And, you know, as I say, I get to see lots of kids that had that sometime work for me. Many of them, like you, you know, some honor me, some don't. Some just disappear into the abyss. That's okay, too. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I always get so honored by you, Kelly. You haven't stopped a bit. You haven't, you know, you haven't let up. You're applying more pressure today than you ever did. 
and I'm just saying the results of this is already in, you're going to see the difference. It's going to show up on the other end. The work shows up. And if you do the work, and again, you can dream about it, wish upon it, but that's not going to make it happen. But if you do the work, like Matt Beck, he does the work. The guy's driven. He's got a great work ethic. He's self-sufficient. And to me, he's one of the most powerful guys on the internet right now. And, you know, I don't even, you know, he is making a living beyond his dreams as a hairdresser behind the chair. Just because you went to beauty school doesn't mean the path you have to follow has to be just doing the people's hair. There's so many ways to make a living. And I think that's what we got to understand, that we're in the industry and there's so many ways we can affect it. doesn't mean that we're just using our scissors one guess at a time. So, you know, get creative in other ways, not just in the hair color. What other ways could a person like you do it? Uh, I got to watch an editorial the other day with the Iron Co. guy that used to do Madonna's hair. And he was doing a tutorial through Instagram showing an editor how to do her hair with his products and a, rind- and a, a curling iron. I thought this is the way it's going to go. We're going to get more and more digital experience. And I think this is going to be a, a game changer for clients out there to have a digital ability. The UK built a whole market on just consultation. So imagine what a digital consultation could do for your business if you get really good at it. Wow. Well, it's, it's incredible, Robert. And, you know, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, for as much time as you spent with us today. And I know every single one of our listeners is the same way. I mean, every one of them is going to need to take a break for a couple hours, uh, sit back and, and honestly, like go back and listen to this over and over again. Um, I want you to take note. Some of the things that I, uh, that I, uh, took, took away. I mean, everything, um, that you talked about the experience, not the outcome. Uh, you talked about, uh, that your business plan should be able to fit on a napkin. Um, um, rent negotiation, uh, recruitment, yesterday's revenue versus today's overhead. Um, you know, the, the good, the good new days, uh, the, the, yeah. hi- the highlights of your life are, are to come, not that, uh, that they're setting back that Matt Beck his, uh, you know, and I want to congratulate him out there too. I mean, what he was doing at the time, um, you know, a lot of people looked at and they didn't understand it. So they couldn't support it. They couldn't sign on to it. But now they're seeing that, wow, this is amazing. But what I want to tell you, Robert, too, is um, I had uh, I had the vision to start the podcast. And, you know, I had been wanting to. I had been playing with it, playing around, things like that. And I remember calling you. And I don't know if you re- realize this. <clears throat> Sorry for my voice cracking. Um, but in April... Um, at the end of March, beginning of April, right when this whole thing happened, you were the very first um, episode of the podcast. I had a goal set at that time um, that I wanted to do 100 episodes before the year ended. And, you know, I was I was pressing the goal, pressing the goal, pressing the goal. And I just, I was on the way back yesterday. And right now, I believe I have... Uh, I have 78 released. Um, there's, I think five or six more in the can. So I'm, I'm talking, sitting on probably 84, 85 on the way home on my drive last night from Utah, 13 hours straight. I started to think, what if I just went and I just hammered on new year's Eve? How cool would that be to do 17 podcasts or 16 podcasts to finish out the year and hit my goal. And I was struggling with it last night. I went this morning and I started to write. And as I was writing, God uh, let me know uh, that it wasn't about the amount of volume that I was doing, that it was about the quality of it. And you spoke about that today. And I want to tell you how much your words mean because I came here to the studio to sit down and rip off 16 podcasts. 
but after my text to you this morning of, can you get on a podcast? I get it. I get to start my podcast in April with you and I get to end 2020 with you. And the thing that I take from it, Robert is, you know, I take so much from it, but in what you're talking about, the principle based slowing down, slowing down and, and allowing the less words, more meaning situation. And I just want you to know how much you mean to me, man. Well, I appreciate it. And I love your love and loyalty. Uh, you know, just to satisfy my back, got three, three million people a week on his page, three million. And for all the artists out there worried about not working, I'm like, there's a guy getting three million. And he's not on a plane. He's working from uh, the smallest little town and his own little setup. I'm just saying it can be done. And I think this is the kind of the message that you want to convey. It's not focused on what you can't do. Focus on what can you do. And again, it's not about the number, Kelly. I think if you had scored one podcast this year, you'd be upset about it. But the fact 78 is no joke. Uh, the other thing Matt does is he goes back through it. So let's just say you've got topics of, you know, sifting through, pulling off some of the topics on those, you know, five, six minute bites and putting them onto a new one that exposes you to people that you wouldn't listen to. You know, because you know, oh, I like him or don't like him, but then you blend it in like a Christmas album and suddenly you get seven viewpoints. Um, so for my, if he's thinking fringes, he's got enough in his data bank to pull out a whole story on fringes. Um, so MTV did a whole award show this year just based on old stuff. So old news, when I think of some of the best stuff I've done on podcasts, especially when I first did American Salon, I was the number one podcast for quite a long time. Uh, same when Gordon moved to Hairbrain, I did his first, you know, in there where I got a high record. I did pretty good on yours. It, it's just, it's a new way to communicate. And I'm just saying these things don't go away. It's not like a haircut collection. The fact is you can dig in. And I think about my young life. I used to listen, as we mentioned, Zig Ziglar. I could repeat his shit verbatim. Uh, it was so good. And he had just a certain way of using humor to unlock his, his uh, prolific points. So I've kind of adapted to that and I think it's a big, big issue. But, you know, like Gina Bianca saying, she listened to me all through beauty school and she, she talks about it all the time, the effect it had on her. And I don't recognize what she's doing. Like she took what I said and did it. She took her own path in it. So it's really an interpretive sport, which is what I love. I've interpreted it and people out there can interpret it to suit what they're after. And I just think this is the beautiful opportunity to it. But, you're doing great, Kelly. You keep it up. And uh, I can't see where anything can stop you. And, you know, as I say, we just did two hours anyway. I was going to ask you when you were going to start recording. <laughs> I know this was a warm-up. Um, so we just got seven episodes here. If you drop them in a 20-minute bump. Uh, and I just did one with my last about an hour and a half, and he chopped it up to no end. Because, you know, it's how you sit through it and, you know, get it in there. And what story you want to tell on any particular day. And, you know, as I say, taking action is the key. And it's like that old joke, how many hairdressers it take to do a haircut? The answer is 100. One to do it and 99 to say, I could have done that. Well, get out of that 99, I could have done that. Let's do something. And I don't care. I got a little staff member. Her name is Macy. She used to be a client at the salon when she was six years old. You've seen that happen. Uh-huh. And now she's a stylist in my company. And she started doing little TikTok videos. And they were just incredible. The video was great. She's such an educator and such a young little mind. 
And just to give her a little woohoo, I started posting them on my page because she was getting nine likes on TikTok. And even though it was quality, she didn't have the, the girth in her network to get the appropriate acknowledgement. So just me putting them up there, she suddenly fell in love with it. She got 2,000 views on a, a video, you know? And I think that's the beautiful thing about it. So everybody out there, you can do something uh, to, to, to make a connection. And if you're educated-minded, which a lot of hairdressers are, want to be a platform artist or whatever, I just say, do not be put off by this. This is the window of opportunity you've been praying for. Uh, there's the opportunity for everybody right now, myself included, to be a different Robert Cromies than I was in the past. And whether I step on stage with a fork again and cut hair, I'm not sure about that particular future. But the influence I can have in the beauty industry is beyond cutting hair. There's so many great people cut hair out there. Almost like, yeah, you, you know, they don't just need another haircut. But I think the, the words of encouragement and the words of, you know, things you can really believe in and stick to, uh, that's a scarcity, I think. And I think it's time to really hone in on that. And I can't wait to, you know, get back to the, celebrating with the industry but right now we're not doing too bad a job considering we're not traveling <laughs> i've done 38 country distributor meetings i do certain things in australia the uk i'm doing everything i used to do i'm just not getting a strip search to go along with it and to be quite honest i'm quite happy i've had plenty but uh you know i i grew up in the air show world so i don't think i i'm, I'm entitled to miss it but at the same time, I just think we all get into the habit of doing shit, doing shit, doing shit without necessarily knowing the outcome, what we were trying to achieve with it. And I would just say that this whole world has changed for the better. Uh, even though we'd love to have done it a different way, that's just not the way it works this time. And, um, you know, I look forward to a beautiful future together for the beauty industry. And uh, I hope I get to do another, maybe 10 more podcasts for you. We won't do them today. But, uh, <laughs> And you definitely need to get my wife on one fairly soon because she is a say she's living it. She is living it. And maybe a, a double call with her in Brooklyn would be fantastic for you. Yes. I will. Well, I want to have you guys here in the studio too, um, which I think would be amazing. So, well, I want to thank you, uh, everyone that's listening right now. Thank you, Robert. And thank you again for your time. Uh, every time you just, you just light me up, man. And I appreciate you um, on so many levels, my man. Uh, you got it, Kelly. Anytime, buddy. And uh, have a great new year for you and your family. And go ahead up some podcasts. Get them on the internet so I can hear myself. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, buddy.